2: You know, we have cough buttons here and that's what they're for. When you cough, you're supposed to use them, hence, well, I didn't. So, in case that came across Aaron and blew people's, it did?
1: Yeah, that came across. I heard it in my ears, Eric heard it in his ears, and the audience heard it in theirs.
2: Well, with that, welcome. I just just hacked up a lung. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No intro music's covering that up. Oh, live radio, live TV. What are you going to do? You know? Uh, well, uh, Eric says we'll hit the cough button. That's what it's there for. Now that I've coughed up a lung, do you want to bring us in? Go ahead and bring us in. Yeah,
1: we're uh, glad to be here on this Wednesday, November twenty second, 2017, on this 54th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And we have a show tonight that we're going to address the John F. Kennedy assassination in from 7.30 to 9.00. We're going to have St. John Hunt, the son of E. Howard Hunt, joining us, and he's going to give us his story on what his father told him in a deathbed confession, and the investigation that he conducted in the search for the truth dealing with the John F. Kennedy assassination. Excuse me, so it should be a fantastic hour and a half with him, and then Pastor Langford will be joining us as he does each Wednesday in Hour 3 and on this eve of Thanksgiving, now we have, uh, the busiest travel days of the years today. We see that as, um, one of the main headlines on Drudge. We talked about it a little last night. So I hope everybody, um, uh, who is listening to our show is, has traveled and got to where they're going safely or is en route and will arrive safely. And we hope you certainly enjoy the holiday tomorrow and get to spend some time with your family. But we got some news and current events we're going to get into here in the first hour. And dad, I don't know where you want to start. We,
2: I want to I start by the getting an oxygen tank rolled in here and uh and uh some some uh, uh sorry about that. No, no, uh, right. no, there's a lot of news. By the way, uh Saint <laughs> Gotta quit those cigars, Cuban cigars. Um Saint Saint John I just want to say this. You know, this is gonna be a, a very, very intense, in my view, an intense uh interview. And uh I want to thank Bill McIntosh of Casa Media for this, but, but this is about, uh, this is going to be about the father son relationship as well as much as the Kennedy assassination. Of course, uh, you know, the Rolling Stone didn't do, gee, go figure, the Rolling Stone did not do, um, E. Howard or St. John Hunt any favors in in their write up. Boy. That's what you said. Yeah. Uh, In my view, um, and there's a lot of good information i took some notes from some various books and and i really believe uh 54 years hence by the way you know you got you got to you got to understand that uh, st john hunt lost his mom uh it was 1972 in a plane crash remember that so um that was flight 553 a crash outside of uh, chicago midway in some say, and the, and the weird thing about that was the FBI was on scene a full 10 minutes before everyone else. Just, you know, happened to be in the area. But anyway,
1: yeah, well, let's, uh, there's a
2: lot to start. Look, the, um.
1: But you know what? Before we, we get yeah. too far, I wanted to tell you this. Because I saw this, I think it was last night. If it wasn't last night, it was the night before. I was watching the Weather Channel. And there was a show on titled, So You Think You'd Survive. And what it did was detail a number of incidents from plane crashes to hiking accidents, and, and it puts you in the shoes of the people who uh, were stranded or abandoned or, or, you know, needing to be rescued, and takes you through the life. Well, one of the uh, examples, situations that they did on this show was the plane crash in Hawaii with Loretta Fuddy, but interestingly enough, in this, in this um, clip where they talked about it for about 15 minutes, they never mentioned her once, nor did they address the fact that anybody died on the plane crash. They went through it. They showed some of the video. They blurred out her face. They blurred her out. Never mentioned her once. And uh did the survival scenario. But I thought that was pretty interesting. I don't know if you want to look into that any further. And I don't know how many other people saw that or even recognized it as the Loretta Fuddy plane crash. But it was and it was uh very poorly represented by the Weather Channel. Not that you'd expect politics from it, but... well. They could have told the who truth. The about weather, what really
2: happened. What was the weather channel doing? I, I don't quite understand what what that whole deal was about. But uh, that whole Fuddy plane crash was was a lot. Was you know there, there's a book we had. Uh, well, just go back and, and search of uh, Loretta Fuddy on our on our YouTube channel, or and you'll find the the real story there. I, think, I have no doubt in my mind. Um, I've got no doubt in my mind that there's. That no, no, that was that was. There's yeah. nothing. There's nothing true that you read about that particular crash, except for um, the individual who did the research. The individuals who did the research. Well, um, it was interesting about it. They ne- again, they never mentioned
1: Loretta Fuddy, and they claimed that ev- everybody survived the plane crash. And they said it in a way where you could argue, yeah, well, a woman died in the water from something unrelated to the plane crash. But <clears throat> it was interesting the way that they portrayed it as a you know, um some kind of heroic survival situation like these people were stranded in the middle of nowhere five hundred miles off the shore in real deep water, which that wasn't the case. But I find that to be interesting uh the you way that they up use the, that example. Stand
2: up the, where, where they were at.
1: Yeah. Um since it is on this eve of Thanksgiving, a Thanksgiving tradition of the president pardoning the turkey,
2: I love it. Today. I love it. He he almost did. What did he say? He said, uh, I, "I love, I love." Uh, seriously, we, 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 the way Donald Trump had uh, talked about not pardoning the turkeys, yeah. Uh, to me, that that that's pure Donald Trump, and that it's just funny to watch. I mean, you got to have a sense of humor. Well, the media and the left, and some on the right, definitely do not.
1: We looked at this earlier. Um, from A.M. Joy, Joy Reid, on MSNBC to a number of people. you got to read some of these tweets about what the uh president got as far as backlash on Twitter. The tradition of presidential turkey pardoning every Thanksgiving should be a lighthearted, fun event devoid of politics. But because of the media's hatred for President Trump, even this pastime has been turned into a political gripe fest. As Trump carried out the annual holiday tradition, cracking jokes along the way, as presidents before him have done... Journalists took to Twitter to complain about any and everything they could think about, the pardon, showcasing their inability to take a joke even for a moment. Now, I want to go
2: through some of these tweets because they're the pretty way, funny. Uh, speaking of turkeys, I, I went turkey hunting today. Did you get anything? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, I got a turkey, but, man, the, 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 the shoppers in the frozen food aisle after I after I shot the shotgun, they <laughs> just bet. went every which way. But I got the turkey. I brought it home. Um Citation for firing a weapon inside the grocery store, but I got I got a twenty-two pound turkey.
1: Well, congratulations, and and that's a good job. Hunting, capturing a kill on your first hunt
2: out. Yeah, can't beat that. And and they were sitting, they were sitting right there. I don't, I don't know, understand what the big deal is. (laughs) I had no problem. No, that's pretty funny. Back to Trump's
1: turkey hunting or turkey pardoning. Joy Reid issued this tweet. Gotta say, these traditions, the turkey pardon, and other cutesy things presidents do are lost to the ether for me when Trump performs them. The legal, ethical, and moral clouds over his presidency are like a film on the camera lens. That was not a funny one, but there are a few in here. Um, here are a few that are, that are pretty good. You have, uh, a Jess Dweck says, at tomorrow's turkey pardon, Trump is going, just going to pardon Joe Arpaio again, then stomp both turkeys to death. Uh, another one. Let's see, uh, Conan O'Brien, President Trump didn't pardon the whole turkey, just the white meat. I thought that was pretty funny. And,
2: I mean, not, not okay. And Joe really? Acosta,
1: good gravy. Sounds like Trump was considering overturning Obama's final turkey pardon. I thought that was a little humorous. Well, too.
2: well and that was the intent. I think the humorous intent of, of, uh, Donald Trump going in and overturning the, that, that was supposed to be funny. Don't make it racist. I, I, really, you gotta, you gotta go there, Conan O'Brien. You gotta go there. You... Well, yeah, he does, but I see, see, I see that as a joke. I well, mean, okay, but, but, okay, fine. You know what? I, I could make some off color joke about a racist, and, and, yeah, I guarantee you, well, or a racist joke, but, but see, the, the left gets away with this. I, I don't, I don't agree with that. Uh, I, keep it, keep it on the, uh, clean side, if you will, without the racism. You don't need to do that. Pardon only the white meat. Come on. Okay, you, you take a joke, and then you, uh, th- th- to me anyway, then you, because what, if, uh, that would have been Obama. Just, but uh, right hey we're we're all right. he's only gonna pardon pardon the dark meat it would be unacceptable racist and hateful yeah i get, I guarantee you just from me saying that i'm gonna get emails uh, for saying this it's ridiculous, you know it really is but i will tell you, one of the issues too and and i hope uh I hope everyone has a great thanksgiving and and I hope that we uh that that, that y'all have time with your family friends and whatever you have great food and and I hope you're bringing us. Uh, by the way, I'm, are you doing a show tomorrow? Yes, we are. All right, you and John are doing a show tomorrow. I'm going to be doing a show tomorrow as well. Um, so, but although although I'm going to have to help my wife with the turkey, but I guess I can run in. You killed it. It's show. only fair that you clean it and cook it. Yeah, I was, I was surprised. Um, i was surprised that you know the, the pellets must have just brushed those feathers right off there. But um, and, and I don't know what the bag deal was, but. Is in a bag, and <laughs> anyway, um no, real quick uh you're doing a we're going to do a show tomorrow we're going to do a show tomorrow. I'm not
1: sure what time we're going to do it. We might do it early in the morning, which it would still air on Global star uh, channel three between two and three, but the archive or the the live and archive link on blog Talk might come out a little bit sooner whenever we we do complete it, we're going to publish it there, and today we really did a, a Thanksgiving show today. And we put that show up on YouTube because we didn't really get into any news or, or politics. It was just a, a setback, uh, laid-back uh show where we talked about a number of things from gratitude to the origin of Thanksgiving and who and why that came about. And it really was a good show. So that's up on YouTube for people who don't want to go elsewhere to find the show.
2: All right. And you can go also go to BTR Blog Talk Radio. Just go to Hagman Report and click on the options. Uh Blog Talk Radio for for my show as well, as well as Global Star Radio Network, but BTR there and also I would I would ask everyone to click the follow buttons on our respective shows. That elevates us in the visibility factor of Blog Talk and they're good people there. Um but I got into today really what the year One um a criminal criminal Syndicates all about, and I think that you've got multiple scandals. You're getting into the news. You got you got multiple scandals right now plaguing the the previous administration or administrations, in particular Obama. You've got um, you've got the email. You have got the unmasking of the uh, the NSA wiretaps. You've got the the politicizing, the weaponization of the intelligence officials. I got all in, in all this in my in my um, morning show, but. Uh, the overlapping criminal scandals if we don't see a criminal prosecutor or if we don't see some sort of watergate style hearing against against the or congressional hearing against the the former administration and current people people currently in the justice department i I don't know we've lost our country i believe because the the level of criminality that exists and lawlessness that existed it was uh, ongoing during the Obama administration is beyond, it's it's beyond description. Mm-hmm. You have Obama, you've got Rice, you've got all of these people unmasking names, uh, the weaponization of our intelligence services, you've got the weaponization of the IRS against conservative and con- Christian conservative groups. They're everyone being held, un- or no one being held accountable for any of this. And, yep, this is, to me, one of the most important factors today, because if we do not seek justice for, for the sake of justice, uh, then this country is gone, as far as I'm concerned. And I would lay it on the feet of Donald Trump, and I would lay it on the feet of the Department of Justice to, to, in fact, do this. And we must do it. And we must hold accountable the, the people such as Obama, and Clinton, and Rice, and Jarrett, and everyone that would, that, and Comey, and Mueller even. So you can't have, a, you cannot have a, a special counsel. Investigate himself. So we need a secondary counsel. We need to get rid of Miller, put in a, a, a secondary counsel, get rid of this, this sham, this, this dog and pony show uh, of, of the special counsel for the Trump Russia collusion. It doesn't exist. Now, what does exist, and 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 I'm fighting with people on social networking about this. I'm not really fighting. I'm putting out the information. They're they're, they're slandering me and trying to take me down. The the bottom line is this. What we saw during the Obama regime was the the weaponization of intelligence, the weaponization of the media. And and that's one thing no one's really talking about, the weaponization of the media that prepared and, and really laid the groundwork for what we're seeing today, and especially during the campaign, how the the media had just gravitated toward Obama and Hillary and of course was used as a weapon against Donald Trump at every turn but the american people knew different they knew better and of course they elected Donald Trump now though i think that uh, uh i'll just leave it this way i, I believe it's more of a movement than a man. I think the movement of Donald Trump represents more of what's really taking place than the man of Donald Trump. So bottom line is, uh, but we need to hold these people accountable. And I'll tell you what, Greg Jarrett on, on, um, on Sean Hannity said, he was asked, how, how worried should Hillary Clinton be based on the FBI informant coming out now? And you have to understand the informant has 50 plus thousand pages of documentation, audio and video recordings. So, how should uh award 15 out of 10. <laughs> okay. Did you see That's what Greg Jarrett said. Uh,
1: The FBI informant claims that he was running the other day and there was a man on his running trail
2: who where he said if he did not have his gun he believed he would have been killed. Well, I, I didn't see that, but I in, in fact I, look I I would prefer not to talk about this man or even talk about his name. I believe he's in danger. I really do. But however, I think enough has already. I think, I think he has given enough to others and enough standalone testimony where if something happened to him, it would still go forward. However, it's always good in a trial. And, and attorneys listening to this, and police officers listening to this, you know what it's like to to have the first hand uh, uh, trial or first hand testimony if he, to verify authenticate documentation because there's always going to be the oh, that's not the it's edited or whatever so you need that that documentation first hand not second hand or third hand so but yeah i believe that uh that his life is in danger and um
1: yeah absolutely it is
2: but, but I, 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 I i was he really running i don't know i read an unconfirmed report that uh, I says he was uh, jogging and had this jogging. encounter. man yeah, man i don't know The last i heard he was he was just off of a chemo.
1: Okay. Well, maybe uh, the report was, um maybe sensational.
2: Was, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know, hey, look, I don't know. It could be. I'm not even sure what his health status is, but I do, I do know at one point it was pretty poor. Um, so not to switch the topics too far, but
1: another speculative report I saw is saying that Joe Biden is one of the uh, people who are on the list of. Politicians who were part of that $17 million in the last 20 year sexual assault settlement, sexual harassment
2: settlements in Congress. Boy, that would be a big surprise to me. You know, I just, um, judging by all the, all the pictures. Paul that, Joseph Watson yeah. did a video today on, on, and that says it all in that video. I'm going to tell you, if, if you watch the body language of the people, you, you don't even have to be a body language expert. Watch the body language of the kids, the women, uh, Tell me that there's not something off there with Biden. Mm -hmm. Well, reports are coming out from Secret Service that he liked to swim naked,
1: that they would uh, make make up excuses to get the women out of the room. There was an encounter that a Secret Service agent had. Apparently, his wife took a picture with Joe Biden, and Joe Biden cupped her breast, forcing the Secret Service agent to physically confront him, which got him suspended for a week. And I think you're going to hear a lot more stories like this coming out as time progresses because the, there was an article on Drudge yesterday. Uh, Donna Brazil was interviewed in, in, uh, relation to who is going to run for president on the Democratic side in 2020. And she said there could be up to 25 candidates that are rolled out for that election. Anybody from Camille Harris to Joe Biden. Kamala Harris. I'm going to tell you what, what a piece of work to, that would be. De Blasio, Rahm yes. Emanuel. They were all on the list. And, many people uh, many articles have polled the uh, voters some of the voters and they say that if right as of right now joe biden would win in a head to have against trump in 2020 election which i don't buy for a second but the congress is becoming riddled with sexual scandals uh, as we've seen in hollywood and and in parts of the media and it's drawing a lot of crazy responses from the media we really don't have to get into this today as we only have a few minutes left but um, keep your eye on the, the hypocrisy and the double standards of so many in the media today that even on The View, with one side of their mouth, they rip Kellyanne Conway for saying that she supports Roy Moore or wants Roy Moore to win the election because she's supporting, you know, some kind of sexual predator. Then they turn around and talk about how, you know, well, this was a mock grope with Al Franken and it's a slippery slope. We can't ask him to resign. And they turn around and are guilty of the same behavior that they're accusing Kellyanne Conway of. It's just this constant hypocrisy and um the re- you know we were talking today on the sh- on the other show what's the reason that the the media is so uh, rabid about this anti-Christian, anti-white, you know, transgender, just morally bankrupt uh, everything that they're promoting is morally bankrupt. <clears throat> and I wonder if it's not so much for the, the small percentage of people out there who believe in it, or is it for exactly the results it is getting, uh, for to put the people on the right, the Christians, uh, get them in an angry mood, make them uncomfortable, get them to possibly, uh, you know, slip up and, 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 uh, fall into this, these, these emotional traps that are set. And I wonder, I, I bet it's a, a lot of both that we see for reasons that they, they're doing this. I mean, obviously they're not planning on airing a broadcast promoting transgenderism. They don't believe they're going to convert any Christians to believing that their side is right. So why are they doing this? So, the, uh, <laughs> at the pace and, and uh, that they are. Why? Yeah, why?
2: Uh, I, well, because
0: That's what I
1: want to
2: know. I, I, I think one part hubris, one part <clears throat> stupidity. I mean, it's just In so far way. out there. Uh, what they're promoting anymore? Yeah, it's 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 almost as if they 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 live in a world where they their own little bubble. Uh, and, and I think that that's not uh, that's just weird. We have a conference. Do we agree? Was I sleeping when I agreed to a conference?
1: No. We um, this was something that's upcoming in April that Coach Dave was putting together, and I believe it's April twenty second, twenty third, and twenty fourth, or twenty second, twenty third where uh, Coach is getting together, you, me, I believe Russ Dizdar, maybe Pastor Langford, Paul Begley, a number of people, Pastor Mike Spalding, to come together to a, for a conference in Ohio. I'm not sure if it's in Akron or Canton. I'm bringing um, my dog. Oh, I'm sure you'll be able to. The last, I don't know if it was Coach's Conference or if it was that Nephilim Mounds Conference, but we had uh, a lot of fun last year. Oh, yeah, had, yeah, but I just don't, I don't know. Well, watch so, for that. Some, some were we supposed to mention that tonight? No, Pastor Paul Begley wanted to mention it on his TV show tonight, right. so that's what that that was about. Because right, well, we, I have we a here. This, this
2: conference mentioned, I don't know what even I, I don't remember writing that down. <laughs> no, so that's for I don't Paul know. Begley. All, right. All right, and
1: we have uh, just a few minutes. Do we left. run
2: out the clock yet, or no?
1: Not yet. Just a few minutes left before the break. Before we bring in uh, Saint John Hunt, and if you can't tell, it's almost like a, a Friday. The atmosphere Isn't here no because Fridays we have the holiday tomorrow want to touch on this story. Since the attack, Rand Paul hasn't taken a single breath without pain. Nice. The average person takes 20,000 breaths a day since November 3rd. Rand Paul has not taken a single one or gotten a good night's sleep without excruciating pain and coughing. Why do we bring this up? Because we have not really uh, – we saw what the news brought out trying to blame Rand Paul for this attack because his lawn clippings were not cleaned up or he wasn't a good landscaper. But the person who attacked him, the charges have not been raised, and I am starting to wonder why. We saw the severity of his damage, the six broken ribs, punctured lung, fluid in the
2: lungs. It's a federal violation to be to attack a, a sitting congressman or senator.
1: And not only that, you know, it was an unprovoked attack. It was a cheap shot when he wasn't even looking, and this guy is walking away without a felony charge. And I find that I don't understand why. Is this political bias in the prosecutor's office? Or is there something else going on behind the scenes, which I don't really believe because we've seen Rand Paul talk about this, and he's not calling for you know mercy on the guy. He's not saying throw the book at him, but uh, we saw the article last week where they said expect the charges to increase. The charges have not went anywhere, and I want mm-hmm. to know why that is.
2: Yeah, I, I would as well, and I would suspect Ron Paul, Rand, yeah, Ron, Rand Paul would as well however it's it's interesting because as a victim you don't make yourself um, it, it could be seen as this kind of a weird thing if you kind of push, your, push for federal law to be enforced as you know using yourself as in the victim status I, it, you shouldn't have to um, the law is pretty clear you attack you assault a sitting congressman it's against it's a federal violation so federal, viola, uh, federal uh, law should take care of it yet the Department of Justice is not filing federal charges against this. It's not about the lawn clippings. Anyone who believes that is, or about the landscaping, as you said, right. Anyone who believes that is absolutely, you know, I got a bridge to sell you in the middle of the. Uh, yeah, it, the guy it's, was. It's BS. The neighbor has been trying to sell this house for ten years. Yeah. Okay. It's not like. See uh, what's wrong with know, that picture?
1: Yeah. It, it's. Um, it 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 really makes me angry that we see. You know, just imagine if this was uh, Chuck Schumer who was the victim.
2: Um, you know the the play that that would have gotten the media. The maybe maybe Rand Paul actually just fell down off of his um, stairmaster, or what happened to Harry Reid? What was that? Yeah,
1: no, he was exercising apparently. apparently the black eyes,
2: um, and it really, yeah, yeah. It, I, you know, I'm just so done with this. I cannot wait until we have tomorrow off, tomorrow, the big show. By the way, we're, our, the Hagman, Doug Hagman radio show is going to be on live as well as, um, your show. But the, we have tomorrow night off. I'm just so thankful because, you know, I'm just, you just get to a point where what else is there to say? Unless you want to grab a, a musket and, and charge Washington Hill. You know, it, it's, it's almost, no? No, you're right. Uh, AR-15? What? Talk about what?
1: freedom. Uh, did you see that, the video that came out of this, the North Korean soldier getting shot while, while trying to escape to the South? Yeah,
2: and he had a bunch of parasites in him. Is that the one?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, they released the video of him making his mad dash from the North to the South, getting his car stuck and <clears throat> getting out into trying to run and then being gunned down.
2: No no that's I, something to be thankful for.
1: you're not over there, right. and he woke up out of his coma or out of the surgeries, and he was crying and you guys gotta read the story. It's a really very touching story about what the guy asked for when he woke up. He just wanted to hear some music from South Korea and see the t v to make sure he was really there and uh wow. you talk about you know doing all you can to strive for freedom. That is a a great story. When we come back, St. John Hunt will be with us on the 54th anniversary of the John F. Kennedy assassination. We're going to dig into this when we come back on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Of the Hagman Report. Don't forget to check out the website HagmanReport.com. There we post a bunch of news stories every day, and we have original content. Also, Peter Chalka has a new article up there. Mark Levin gets his own show at Fox News. That's a, a great piece. Go there and and read that, and check the show daily. We update it every single day, except usually on Saturdays. I hey, don't hey, Peter, the after
2: the show, Peter. I'm, I'm gonna. Can I call you after the show, Peter? Peter, are you there? Uh, oh, I'm sure you can. I I'll tell you what, or give me a call after the show. But but not no, I'll give you a call. It's uh West Coast East Coast thing, you know. But all right. Before we is get it, to
1: Yeah, go ahead. Before we get to St. John Hunt, just want to bring you a quick word from Green Innovative from tomorrow morning until the end of day Monday. Green Innovative is offering their sale, their Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale. You can get 30% off any and all individual items at their site greenivate.com using the promo code hagman the sale only comes around once a year and i believe this is the biggest discount that he's offered for everything from his uh power uh, portable rechargeable battery power pucks and so much more. We got the mission pack that's still for sale there as well as uh, all the, the accessories that you need. Go to greenovative.com. Again, 30% discount from tomorrow until the end of day Monday using promo code HAGMAN on all individual items on the store, at the store. That's greenovative.com.
2: All right. Now, this is a, this, I have to tell you folks, this is an interview I have been waiting for for a long time. And just as an aside, the Rolling Stone magazine can kiss my butt, all right? I just had to throw that out there. Those people who know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. I ain't going to give them any credit or any... I'll just leave it at that. A couple of Rolling Stone interview people in here, and they turn out a trash piece. But what do you expect? Anyway, but th- this next gentleman... And the reason I mention that is because uh, there was an article that was uh, John, the producer, had uh, given me on on E. Howard Hunt from the Rolling Stone, titled "The Last Confession of E. Howard Hunt." And um I, you know, I just re- I read it. Me, well, I'm just, I'm so glad E. Howard Hunt is here or uh, St. John Hunt is here. So glad St. John Hunt is here, and he's here with something very important. He has a letter, an open letter, to Carolyn Kennedy. Now listen carefully to what I'm saying to you. An open letter to Carolyn Kennedy. I don't know if he's ever read this in public before, but it's just going to be a conversation between St. John Hunt, the son of E. Howard Hunt, and Dorothy Hunt, and us and the other 80-plus thousand listeners right now live, and however many downloads that we get after that, Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. So it'll be on this platform that he's reading a, an open letter to Carolyn Kennedy. But the backstory is this: the reason I wanted to bring, and I, I've been searching to ask, I've been wanting to bring Saint John Hun on, is, and he doesn't know this, but our lives run parallel courses in, in ways that he would never know. I mean, he lost his mom at an early age, and so did I. His the relationship with his father is just. A very interesting relationship and I do hope he talks about that um, I, I, I see a lot of say, the same traits in the story and of course we have listeners that, that want to hear about the the conspiracy the actual um, what St. Uh, John Hunt found via deathbed, an evolving deathbed confession, when I say evolving it, it was over a period of time deathbed confession by his father and and I, I read with interest about his stepmother, about how she did not want this to come out, and 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 I've just, in my heart, I felt for the, I felt for Saint John Hunt, and as I as I read through Saint John Hunt's life story, I just I, there was something that connected with me. A lot of things that connected with me. And we're close in age too. We're not that far off in age. And we've had similar. Pass with the exception of the CIA, obviously, that's not me, it's, but socially. I, I look at St. John Hunt as kind of a hero, in a, in a way. And maybe he might object to that characterization. But for him stepping out and saying what he said, and for him attempting to do what he had, and doing what he had done with his father, I give him a lot of credit. And of course, St. John Hunt has written, co-authored a book titled The Bush Crime Family with Roger Stone. He is a successful, successful author and musician. He was born into a spy family. Now this is the actual script given to me by, by John. I gave you my personal take on St. John Hunt and I, we, him and I never spoke before, but I feel somewhat of a kin, uh, kinship with him, kindred spirit with him. But both his father, E. Howard Hunt, and his striking multilingual mother, Dorothy Hunt, again, who passed away on December 8th, 1972. Many And I remember that plane crash. I remember talking to my mom about that. By the way, my mom passed away just six years after, six less than six years later. My mom did. But I remember talking to my mom about that crash the day it happened. Anyway, you know, um, his parents had, both distinguished careers and with spycraft that spanned decades. St. John himself even assisted in in his own way, that is, with some of their covert activity when he was old enough. It was only when he was in his teenage years that he learned, however, the full truth about his parents and and the fact that they did not work for the U.S. State Department. And while approaching his death, E. Howard Hunt made a confession about the role, about his role in the JFK assassination. Some people take issue to that some people will will diss that whole thing they'll they'll make snide comments about and by the way it hurt me in a a large sense knowing uh, Chuck Colson not personally but kind of somewhat Um, it hurt me to to see some of the comments made on the obituary of E. Howard Hunt but that's another matter I, I can only imagine well I can't imagine but, okay. Again, I'm going off script. And I apologize to my audience for that. But while approaching the, the death, E. Howard Hunt made a confession about his role in the JFK assassination. St. John spent more than 10 years searching for the truth about his father's role in the, his father's involvement in the, in JFK's death, resulting in the first book, Bond of Secrecy. In his next book, Dorothy, The Murder of E. Howard Hunt's Wife, Watergate's Darkest Secret. Great book, by the way. He explored his mother's life as a CIA spy and her war with Nixon, which he maintains resulted in her being murdered, as do I. But, you know, who cares about what I care about? Um, His website is stjohnhunt.net. And with that, it is my extreme, extreme pleasure to bring on St. John Hunt. St. John Hunt, welcome to the program.
3: Well, thanks for having me on your show. Um, I, I've heard nothing but great reviews about your show and about the way you you uh, you handle yourself uh, in 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 the show. And uh, thank you for that um, uh, for that intro. That was um, it had me uh, on the edge of my seat, <laughs> and well, it was very touching. I appreciate I appreciate the fact that uh, you know not only do you empathize with uh, uh, with the various. Parts of my life, but 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 you have a kinship with me, and I I accept that fully, and I uh, hope uh, this is the beginning of a if not a business relationship uh, for your show, but a but a but a friendship too, because I'd like to. Uh, I'm just a real per. I'm just a kind of a real person. I'm I'm really nobody. I'm 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 just um I'm just a a a, a was a normal person that you know found himself in this. Situation, you know, um, growing up, I everything seemed normal to me because I didn't have anything to to compare it to. I mean, I thought uh, all families moved uh, to con- to foreign countries every two years or three or four years, and and then moved to another foreign country. I, I had uh, nothing to compare it to. So, so finding out that everything I knew was a lie was really kind of devastating for me and then on top of that hearing the accusations as a teenager that uh, my father uh, was involved in uh, the murder of JFK and uh, and those kind of things uh, hearing about the various um, Senate inquisitions that he had to testify in and the whole Watergate thing where he was in prison for uh, uh, three and a half years and um, he was a broken man, but uh, my father taught me and showed me that uh, that you just can't uh, you just can't give in you have to get back up somehow and uh, and get your life together and after years of i'll be honest after years of substance abuse um, which I didn't know really what fueled my substance abuse but for practically thirty years i um, I, I abused drugs of, of different uh, kinds and and I think it was all this uh, all this Watergate CIA JFK stuff that uh, I just couldn't wrap my head around it was so so incredibly vast and it it had uh, affected you know so much of my life and then uh, you know and then I'm left with uh, this huge mystery well who was my father who was my mother what did they really do why were we really going to this country and that country and this country and and who are these men that came over to our house and had dinner, and then my father would take them down to his study, and the door would close, you know, kind of like a godfather thing, you know. You watch the door close, and, and then it's like, okay, what's going on in there? So it's, it's been, it's been um, uh, you know, it's, it's all valuable because um, it's really made me who I am. And, uh, and, and I don't let this whole uh, JFK, Watergate, CIA thing um, dominate my life. Um but uh, every every fall, especially of course around this time of year, I will um, uh, agree to um, to go on to uh, w- uh, one or two uh, shows and and I will do uh, one or two lectures uh, at the various JFK conferences in Dallas or in New Orleans in October. I was there. So uh, th- anyways, thanks for having Thank me on you. your show.
2: Well, you know, th- thank you, number one, for appearing tonight, the 54th anniversary of the JFK assassination. And, and that, of course, is when America lost her innocence, I think, at least officially. And, and, you know, that to me is, we'll get into that. That's kind of a footnote, however, because, um, but it, it's its just interesting to me, again, uh, St. John Hunt, the man, uh, the man that came out of this spy family, is to me uh, a topic, a subject all by itself and and your experiences the loss of your mom the um, the growing up in in, because I know more I I, look I know a lot about you I feel not that I'm a stalker but I was reading about so many articles about how you grew up and I got to tell you um, that had to be like just it it really had to be uh, uh, well I don't even know the word except traumatic rough traumatic there you go rough yeah yeah.
3: Yeah, well, you know, they, uh, it, there's a list of uh the most stressful uh events that can happen uh, in one's life, and of course, one is uh, the death of a parent. Uh secondly um is uh uh moving uh, as, as a child, um being plucked out of a secure environment and then uh, thrust into uh, another completely different school. And and that's that's one thing, but for me, I never had a uh, stable environment. For example, I was born in Washington D.C. Within six months, uh, we moved to Japan, where my father um, uh, was a CIA, uh, like junior station chief at the uh, at Sugi base, and um, and that was 1954 to uh, 1957. Um and uh, and so at, as a child of two and a half and three years old I spoke very rudimentary Japanese so then we moved directly to Montevideo, Uruguay where I was in a, a Spanish speaking culture, uh, everyone around me spoke Spanish, but I was put in a French speaking school and I only knew rudimentary Japanese so I mean it just gets worse wow. from there, I mean I'm, I'm estranged uh, and you never have you never know how to make friends. You don't. You never learn how to socialize with with children of your own age. And this is something. This is a subject I'm very interested in pursuing. I want to write a book, which I've started, uh, uh, with the idea of <clears throat> talking about the collateral damage that that children face and have to deal with uh, once they find out their parents were CIA black operatives or maybe NSA operatives or, or any kind of clandestine. Um, service to their country. The children, I think, on the whole, the majority really, really suffer. Uh, maybe not as children, but when they come into their adulthood and find out what their parent or parents, uh, have been involved in. Um, you know, my father was involved in, in some bad things. He was, he was, he was just, uh, that kind of a guy, you know, and, uh, he's the thread that links the OSS, in the early part of the CIA, through the Guatemalan coup, the Bay of Pigs, the plots against Castro, uh, and then the plots against Kennedy, and on up through Watergate, uh, he's linked uh, in a very um, um, strong manner to Operation forty and uh, you know, and then there was the blackmailing of, uh, of President Nixon, so it just it just <laughs> you know the more I dug, the more I researched, the more I found like I never knew that he personally. Um, uh, uh, had meetings with uh, John Rosselli of, of the uh, American Cosa Nostra or uh, uh, Sam Giancana or Santos Traficante and he, ha- he did. Um, I didn't realize that when we moved to Spain it was because they were taking the assassination attempts against Castro off uh, out of this country and moving them to Spain where they could you know, maneuver and get around uh, with less uh, notoriety. So um, you know, I I I feel like in one way, I was just part of the of the illusion of my parents being a normal State Department couple. We got to have some kids as part of our cover, so let's have some kids, and then we'll delegate the maids and the servants to take care of the kids while while we as as the parents you know go off and do our things you know, and that hurt. Um, But I I also understand I also understand it was their job, and they they felt truly patriotic
2: well wow. well and i don't doubt the well the i the patriotism of your dad your family i don't doubt that you know one bit and it's it's something that we lack today i think the the patriotism and i um and i can see where there there would be this inner conflict perhaps you as a child and um now as a grown adult man um can reflect back on it and see that that push pull kind of uh, tension. But, but wow, okay, oh, man. So all right. But, but, but by the way, you're and, and I want to make sure I get this in. You are a successful musician, a success, successful author, right now. Um, and of course, the book that you have, the latest book that you've written, co-authored with Roger Stone, the Bush crime family. Uh, really a great read, by the way. Thank you on, on your, on your accomplishments, but I was re- when I was reading uh, about you. And correct me if I'm wrong, there was kind of a moment in time when you were in a phone booth and suddenly you looked up and you saw, what was it a a, a billboard with your, you know the the three tramps apparently or what was known as the tri- three tramps and by the way any of my terminology I'm not in any way trying to. My terminology is, is just. That, uh, with respect to your father and, and the, the images, it's not, uh, meant to demean at all. Uh, but people would recognize that. But you looked up and you saw this billboard of three men and recognized one as your father. That kind of was your, that moment in time when you realized that, hey, wait a minute, there's something not right here. Is that, is that kind of true or, well, uh, again, because I, I have to, I, I have to question what I read in the Rolling Stone.
3: Yeah, I, I, w- I was, um, uh, uh, on the sidewalk and, uh, and I was at a phone booth and I, and I, I was on the phone and I, and I looked up uh, and on the side of a telephone pole was a very crude sort of mimeographed black and white um, poster I guess you'd call it or a large leaflet which announced uh, that uh, the CIA had murdered JFK and a lecture was going to take place at a certain date at San Francisco State University was going to be um, uh, hosted by Dick Gregory, who up until that time I, I only knew as a comedian, but now apparently he was a an activist, and he had um, <clears throat> determined that uh, that uh, E. Howard Hunt uh, murdered uh, J. F. K. And on this rather crude poster uh, were three um, uh, three photographs, two of whom I didn't really recognize. They were pictures of some old kind of uh, disheveled looking tramp uh, with a hat and um, uh, and then the middle picture was a, clearly a picture of my father e howard hunt and that just I mean I don't know whether I dropped the phone or <laughs> or fainted or whatever but um, that was really crazy for me to see that I mean so I pulled the, the poster off the uh, off the um, off the telephone pole I still have it' it's in, it's in storage in California but that was Kind of like, uh, you know, the introduction to, um, to all, to the ongoing and continued allegations, uh, regarding my father and, and, JFK. And of course, throughout all that time, he denied, uh, not only having any knowledge about the JFK assassination, but also not having been in Dallas on that day and, um, not knowing, uh, anybody else that may or may not have been involved. And he just, uh, it was no, no, no. He knew nothing. He did nothing. He saw nothing. He heard nothing. Um, but uh, in a trial um, later on, um, there was a um, there was a small periodical on the East Coast that came out with a uh, with um, a, a supposed uh, internal memo, CIA memo, saying uh, from uh, Dick Helms, the CIA chief, s- stating that uh, at some point we're going to have to. Uh, um, we're going to have to find a way to tell the world what Howard Hunt was doing in Dallas. And, um, and they, they printed that. And my father sued and, um, and won the initial lawsuit, uh, claiming, um, uh, you know, um, when, when someone insults you in public, what is that called? A defamation of character. Uh, and, right. uh, but then they appealed and they got Mark Lane, a very, uh, famous, uh, JFK researcher and civil rights uh, lawyer. Uh, to represent the small paper. And, uh, when my, they put my father on the stand, uh, he just, uh, destroyed every single alibi, uh, that my father had about where he was on November 22nd. And of course, the initial, the alibi that he finally tried to stick with was that he was, uh, at home with his children after having gone shopping, uh, at a Chinese, uh, grocery store in, in downtown, uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, with his wife, Dorothy, and they came home and they spent the rest of the time with the children for the next two days. Well, um, I was deposed uh, for that uh, inquiry and I had to honestly say I, I did never see my dad at the house on that day. And, in fact, I remembered my mother saying that he had been in Dallas uh, in just a very brief conversation at the time. It didn't mean anything to me. Um, but, uh, so... In the final analysis, Mark Lane proved that my father had no alibi for that day, so he lost that case. And uh, I think just um, you know he was embittered by uh, all the accusations and of course all the notoriety. I mean, if you're a covert agent, you don't want to be your face you don't want your face plastered all over the newspapers around the country. But that's what Watergate did to him. It also broke his heart because he he um, he thought he was dealing with men of a deep. Uh, high standard of moral value and uh, and that he was doing things uh, you know to protect this country and uh, and they took advantage of him and i always wondered why my father allowed these men to use him that he couldn't see their transparency because he was so intelligent you know but i think it was his ego that got to him you know i'm going to work for the white house i'm going to you know be a special uh, spook a special spy for richard nixon and in the end it's what brought Ni- richard nixon down and in the end it's also what killed my mother because there was this threat blackmail threat uh, for continued financial support uh, from the white house not only for my family but for the four cubans who had been arrested at the democratic national committee headquarters on june seventeenth nineteen seventy-two and um, <coughs> nixon was paying out money but then once he got elected in november um, he uh... you know the money stopped and that's when uh... my father and my mother uh, bumped up the the uh, severity of the threats, you know, literally saying to Chuck Colson, who was one of Nixon's inside uh, special counsels, that they had uh, uh, evidence that it's going to bring Nixon down. It's going to blow the White House out of the uh, out of the water. And uh, and of course, my mother uh, took some of the evidence to Chicago, uh, along with Michelle Clark, who was a CBS uh, anchor, the first black. Uh, uh, newswoman uh, to become an anchor for a major media, uh, CBS, and uh, and they uh, they knew my mother was going on that flight. They bugged our phones. Everybody, we all knew that as children. Uh, they followed us, everybody around. It was crazy, and they they brought the plane down. I mean, they the uh, the plane crashed. She died. The evidence was taken, and uh, my father um, kept his mouth shut but right after that and pled guilty three days later. And just that was it.
2: I, I heard the uh, telephone call. I, I don't recall. I know it was one party was Nixon. I think I think the other party was Colson. Uh, Colson talking to Nixon about the plane crash and about the judge, uh, you know, having a heart to uh, to take your dad out of the the loop uh, at that moment because of. I mean, the timing is just horrible. And, and yeah, yes, it was. Mama, Mom. Would, would, we, we should, but by the way, um, here's here's our plan. We have a network break at the top of this hour. As a matter of fact, in about a minute, we're going to go to a three-minute network break, and then we're going to forego uh, any further network breaks just to give you the most time for the rest of the, the remaining hour to tell the story. But but that's that is so um, it, you know again the the, the trauma against your the, the trauma against your dad the trauma against you and your entire family. Uh, from the plane crash from the loss of your mom so traumatically and, and of course michelle clark as well and and you mentioned about the plane crash the fbi being on on site within uh, minutes really long before the, the fire department ever got there or first responders ever got there just so crazy we're gonna pick up on the other side of this network break our very special guest is a man that i, I do have a lot of uh, Uh, I feel feel a camaraderie with and and I have a lot of uh, respect for and that is St. John Hunt the son of E. Howard Hunt we're going to be right back Global Star Radio Network BTR, YouTube, all platforms thanks for joining us on on this day before Thanksgiving 2017 very historic day and also remember uh, St. John Hunt has a message open letter for Carolyn Kennedy stay with us
1: St. John Hunt, the son of E. Howard Hunt. He is a successful author and musician, and he has come to tell the story of what he went through on this 54th anniversary of the JFK assassination. Uh, John, we were talking just before the break of uh, about your mother and her trip to Chicago where the plane crashed, and you were talking about evidence that she was carrying to present in Chicago. What was... what? What evidence did she have
3: well she had um, she had memos inter, uh, internal um, uh, CIA operational notes and memos um, uh, showing and proving that um, Richard Nixon uh, not only approved of but um, uh, but um, motivated he, he was very insistent on killing Castro. And uh th- there was an, a special CIA covert action group formed in 1959 or 60 um, at the insistence of my father uh, after he came back from his uh, trip to Havana after he assessed what was necessary to, uh, to successfully overthrow uh, Cuba. And uh, he was the first CIA officer that... Uh, that stated that uh, Castro and uh, his brother Raul and other top uh, uh, Castro um, uh, uh, persons in in the newly formed uh, regime of Castro uh, had to be assassinated. And uh, this was uh, called Operation 40, because there were 40 Cuban exiles that were involved and were trained by um, the CIA Black Ops Division. They were trained in assassination techniques, they were trained in um extreme interrogation techniques torture um, you know clandestine activities uh, and and so forth and Nixon was at the time vice president now he uh was the not only the liaison between the secret group operation 40 but, but he was the liaison between that group and the white house because Eisenhower was president so Nixon served as the liaison between operation 40 and the white house but he was a very integral part of operation 40 he really uh, was insistent on uh, forming this group and having them carry out uh, the assassination of Fidel Castro and many others, uh, not only in Cuba but uh, around the world. Any foreign government that didn't uh, appeal to the United States, that wasn't going to allow the United States to uh, come in and dominate their their society like they did in, uh, in, in Guatemala and, Ch- and Chile and, and Nicaragua and all these places. It's all about money. But anyways, um, so my father had kept certain files, certain memos, and handwritten notes uh, outlining Nixon's involvement uh, in Operation 40 for the assassination against Castro and other foreign leaders. And if this were to come out before the election uh, that Nixon was running, uh, he would have never been elected. That man may have been arrested, and if it had come out after he was elected, he would have been impeached. Um, James McCord, who was part of the Watergate burglary team, said later on that uh, that he knew that uh, Howard and Dorothy had explosive evidence that would impeach Richard Nixon. Uh, they were so Nixon was so worried about my father that on the on the Nixon uh, tapes in the White House, you can hear Nixon uh, ranting on and on and on about Howard Hunt. He says Howard Hunt. He's got to be paid off. We've got to keep Hunt quiet. We've got to keep Hunt happy. What's it going to cost? And Dean, John Dean, one of the inner councils, is there at this meeting with Nixon. And, uh, and he says, Well, we assessed that it could possibly cost a million dollars. And Nixon, without dropping a, a step, says, A million dollars? We should pay it. I know where we can get a million dollars. I can get that million dollars in cash. And Dean and Haldeman and Ehrlichman, who are sitting there, they're not understanding why it's so important to keep Howard Hunt quiet. Nixon goes on saying, uh, Howard Hunt, you open that scab, it's going to make a lot of people look bad. It's going to make the CIA look bad. It's going to make Hunt look bad. It's going to make me look bad. Uh, this all goes down to the Bay of Pigs thing, with quotes. And in Haldeman's book, some years later, he said that uh, Nixon used the quote Bay of Pigs thing as a as a a sort of a um, uh, way of talking about the Kennedy assassination Uh, because Nixon felt or knew and felt that the members of Operation 40 after the failed attempt uh, to um, to overthrow Cuba and to assassinate Castro that some of the members of Operation 40 including my father turned their guns from Castro to Kennedy and this is what my mother was carrying in addition to uh, a whole stack of canceled checks that went through a Mexican bank that were made out to Bernard Barker who was an Operation 40 member uh, and this was a paper trail, a financial paper trail that would link the uh, the uh, the Watergate burglary and other uh, illegal activities that, uh, my father's group carried out that would link that to the committee to reelect the president and directly to Richard Nixon's secret fund of money. Uh, In other words, this was a paper trail, a financial trail that, that, that linked, um, committee money from Nixon to the Watergate burglary. And I got to tell you, um, nobody who's going to blackmail a president or threaten them with, uh, uh, the evidence that would cause their impeachment or their removal or their arrest is ever going to get away with it, and I, I feel that my mother certainly knew that at the time, but she was sick of it. She was sick of the whole Watergate thing of of mixing, uh, of, of um, you know, uh, kind of slicing off little bits of his uh, his inner circle, you know, letting people go, and continuing to say, "I'm not a crook. I didn't do this. I didn't know about that." And then the money to my parents stopped, and uh, she was going to Chicago with Michelle Clark to um, to, uh, to do a um, press conference, at which time she was planning to blow the White House out of the water. She was going to bring Nixon down. No question about it.
2: You, you know, St. John... Um, and our guest is St. John Hunt. Let me ask this question, or let me toss this out to you, because I'm sure many people might say, well, no one's going to bring down a, a commercial aircraft with 61 people aboard, 55 passengers, 6 crew, just to eliminate a witness or two yeah,
3: witnesses. But that's, that's not true. As a right. matter of fact, that's the classic CIA method of assassinating or liquidating one or two or three people. Uh, even one person. I mean, if they, if my mother had been sent, because she was picking up, um, she would go and, and wait at a phone booth at a prearranged time. A phone call would come in late at night, giving her instructions to proceed then to, let's say, an underground parking lot, uh, and, uh, and, and pick up a, a key that was taped to, uh, you know, the side of a, of a, of a, of a, you know, a pillar, a column or something like that, and then that would, Unlock a locker in the Greyhound station or at the airport, and then that would lead her to another key that was taped under a phone booth, and then she would go and get that, and then she finally arrive at a at a locker or something where there would be a satchel bag full of money. Uh, if they, after setting this multi-part, um, you know, pickup thing, they could have killed her at at any time, and. She carried a twenty five semi semi-automatic uh, uh, Colt uh, revolver with her. and um, But uh, if, if she had been murdered on her own by herself, what is the investigation uh, going to uh, exactly. focus on? Exactly. It's going to focus on that one single person. But you take a, a plane out, you take a, an apartment building out, you take a movie theater out, uh, then the investigation is focused on the plane crash. Yep. You know the apartment burning, or the you know the theater on fire, or what what have you. And that's a classic uh, CIA way to get rid of somebody with the least amount of, um, of focus on the individual that you want released. I mean that you want killed.
2: Exactly, and, and you know, um, and I remember, I remember this like it was yesterday. Even even uh, forty five years ago, this year when your mom. Passed away on December 8th, 1972. I remember talking to my mom about this and, um, my mom saying, you know, uh, that was murder. And I, and uh, you know, I was a young man at the time. I didn't quite understand what she was, or, or really comprehend the enormity of that. But I gotta tell you, you're exactly right. And, and this, and, and again, my heart goes out to you because of that. No, was your mom a CIA asset?
3: She was, yes. um, okay. she, she was, um, she went way back uh, to 19. Let's see, 1944. She was uh, employed in the by the Treasury Department in Bern, Switzerland. Now, in 1944. That was just before the World War II ended. Bern, Switzerland, uh, was the one single country that the Nazis did business with, and the Nazis would uh, uh, send all their money, their gold, melting down the teeth of the Jews they had uh, murdered in the Holocaust. They would melt them down and send them to Various banks in Switzerland. so she was in charge of a of a, um, of a OSS project, and Alan Dulles, by the way, was OSS chief in Bern, Switzerland. OSS later became uh, CIA uh, the head of CIA for many, many years, a good friend of my father's. As a matter of fact, my father wrote ghost wrote uh, uh, Dulles's book A Craft of Intelligence. But Safe Haven was the project to stop the flow of Nazi assets in Europe trapping trees, freeze Nazi gold, art, and valuables they stole from their victims. Uh, <clears throat> but there was some problem be- between the Treasury Department and OSS as to who uh, who was in charge. So they merged uh, Operation Safe Haven uh, under the direct auspices of OSS. So my mother then merged her job at Treasury and became OSS uh, an OSS double agent, or she was a, not a double agent, but she became an OSS agent. She was also in charge of recruiting foreign agents into becoming double agents for OSS. That's why I said double agents. I, I said that too soon. Um, she was a beautiful, beautiful woman and uh, what's called a honey trap. And uh, she would lure potential targets into compromising sexual situations using seduction and alcohol. And then they would be secretly photographed and then they would be blackmailed into working for the United States CIA. Um so she she had a long history. Nineteen forty six she went to um, uh Shanghai and uh <clears throat> worked at the newly opened Treasury Department office, which was just a cover for the new CIA station in Shanghai, China. In nineteen forty nine she fled because the Mao's forces, the communist forces were taking over. She was on the last train out of sh- Shanghai and uh she was dressed in a um in the peasant attire of a Chinese peasant woman with a big round hat over to conceal her face and she was sitting on two, uh, straw suitcases stuffed full of Chinese cash. And I said, Mama, that, uh, that must have been a lot of money. She goes, it actually wasn't. It was, it was very little Chinese money was worthless at, at, at that time. But, uh, she had her pearl handled, uh, automatic, uh, in her, uh, in her garter and, uh, and uh, she was going to shoot, uh, herself at the last moment if she had been uh, had been caught because the trains were being stopped and searched for Americans and people that uh, were suspicious uh, and it was noted that uh, Chinese communist forces were raping uh, Americans and uh, you know Europeans just um, dozens and dozens of times uh, until death but she got through with that she met my father in 1949 and uh, continued her uh, her work for the CIA and um, as, a, as a, a sort of an asset a contract agent she worked at embassies if we were sent to uh, Montevideo Uruguay or Japan she would then get a job at an embassy that the CIA wanted to have someone on the inside to uh, to, to steal and then photograph documents that the CIA wanted and so that's uh, and then she would give them to my dad so they were a, a very classic very good CIA couple and uh So for her to become the bag lady, they called her, during Watergate to pick up money and then distribute them to the Watergate uh, defendants um, was not that big of a deal for her, although um, she was very afraid because she knew that uh, they were fighting the President of the United States and that this was not going to turn out in a good way. Um, Ain't ain't going to turn out well, that's right Ain't going to turn out well, no (laughs) And um, I think on that flight to Chicago I think she knew that uh, there was a chance That uh, she was never going to be allowed to Have that press conference in in the following days And she took out a $250,000 insurance policy uh, For uh, Mm. for the children and, and, And then that was it She was killed and she was gone
2: you know, and again, my heart goes out to you. I, I know you, losing a parent at a young age. Um, I just, my heart goes out to you. It really does. Uh, and especially knowing what you know about your mom. And um, ah, wow. Okay. Now, now that I've got completely off track, I mean, uh, certainly this—you could tell, folks—this is not a scripted interview. And to me, this is kind of an emotional thing for me because uh, I feel in sort of certain ways that you know, I. I I know this man our guest St. Saint, Saint John Hunt I, I say that respectfully of course um, not knowing him personally but uh, uh, just being able to kind of connect with this with the story in certain certain parts of it now that, I, now that we've got oh by the way uh, By certainly purchased his book he co-wrote with Roger Stone The Bush Crime Family again co-authored with Roger Stone but St. John Hunt a success in his own right successful author and musician but now that we've got you completely off track and um, off script uh, not that there was one the the assassination uh you, you okay leading up to the days you were estranged from your dad for a while and um he got sick and oh by the way i i, I really like st john hunt for if not for any other reason for one reason he's the only man i know who told kevin costner to pour, to perform an unnatural sect act, a sect, sex act upon himself and asked him if he needed instructions, basically. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, but, but that's, that aside, let, let's go back to the, the topic here. Um, the, you had, uh, you had been estranged from your father. Of course, there's a lot of, th- and, and again, I, I can see a lot of myself in this too. Um, and, and you had made up and, you were called to his home in Miami, or you went to his home in Miami, and this started a series of events where your dad was very honest with you, even at, over the objection of your stepmother. Um, you want to pick it up from there and, yeah. and go, go and, and map this out, however you want to map this out without, without sure. our intervention.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, I was estranged from my father for a number of years, um, but. Um, uh, we became close again uh, when I started visiting uh, Miami uh, in the late 1990s, and uh, around uh, 2002 or three, um, I had heard that um, that uh, my father had gone uh, up to an Oliver Stone set uh, filming the uh, Nixon movie and acted as a technical advisor. He went with my brother David, and at that uh, uh, at that uh, movie site. Uh, Stone and his crew and the actors, uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins and so forth, uh, all were having a big meal, giant dinner at a, ta- at a very long stretch-out table. And Oliver Stone um, kind of uh, just uh, out of the blue said, uh, Howard, how, uh, how much money would it take for you to, uh, to tell the world what you know about the JFK assassination? My father, without skipping a beat again, uh, said uh, about $2 million. That, that's a good start. And you know there was a great deal of laughter and people chuckling. But uh, and I heard about it and I thought that was that was just a kind of a comical story. But um, and then around 2003 and four, my father's his health was failing quite a bit and um, uh, books were coming out alleging that he was involved in the assassination uh, uh, and so forth. People were making a lot of money off using my father's name and I was a little upset about that. And I thought that the way to get to my father at that point in his life was to get him pissed off, basically. So I went down to Miami and we we spent a lot of time walking, you know, pushing his wheelchair around the, the block uh, where he lived, uh, just hanging out, and watching movies and stuff. And I kind of got to him. I kind of got under his skin. I kind of prodded him a little bit, quite a bit actually, and said, you know, Papa, guys are making tons of money off you, off your of your name. You know, they're just saying anything they want, and you're nobody's stepping out and saying anything against it or, or, or anything don't you aren't you a little pissed now and it's late time in your life um, don't, don't don't you want to say something and so we agreed that we were going to um, write he was going to write an autobiography a second autobiography because his first autobiography undercover which came out in the early 70s was found to have 14 points of untruths and so the publisher pulled it from the from the racks whoops. now yeah whoops so that never went anywhere, so I said, Papa, we've got to talk about everything that you've done in your life absolutely truthfully and one of the main things is j f k people are saying this about you or that about you um is there is there you know what what's the truth about this can, can you tell me so uh, unfortunately, I had to fly back to California, but on my next visit, uh, my father had um we spoke and uh he said that uh that he wanted to tell the truth about the j f k assassination. He felt proud of his involvement in the JFK assassination. And so we, we set down a series of codes, uh, outlining the participants that he knew and the way that it came about and was presented to him. And that was that, um, in the summer of 63, um, he was, um, <coughs> uh, he was uh, called to uh, a meeting at a, at two different Miami safe houses, uh, by Frank Sturgis, a uh, longtime time uh, uh, Cuban exile, uh, mercenary, assassin, p- part of Operation 40. And uh, and at this meeting, at these two meetings, were several other exiles, m- namely um, uh, Felix Rodriguez, uh, and he was Operation 40, David Morales was Operation 40, Frank Sturgis, and my father, and Antonio Veciana was uh, Operation 40 also, as well as the leader of the most violent, anti-Castro group Alpha 66 and they outlined um, a ongoing plan uh, that they were only one part of that there were several other groups that were getting together in different locations around the country uh, to kill an important American political person and uh, it was at the second meeting that they told my father that it was President Kennedy they knew my father to have hated Kennedy and, and which he did um, and to of course, the CIA blamed Kennedy for the failure at the Bay of Pigs. My father's dearest and best friends all were uh, subjected to uh, eighteen months of torture and uh, imprisonment in, in Castro's concentration camps and some of them made it back, and some of them didn't and uh, and there was it was time for revenge this was a ve- this was a revenge thing uh, for the Cubans and my father and um, he. Told me that um, after listening to their proposal, that what he said was um, he would that he was known for his honesty and his uh, his ability to to uh, uh, to compartmentalize a, a team. In other words, also to to be a, a sort of a, a arms around a team to in protection and if they need to. Uh, to leave. If, if something goes wrong with the operation, he would be there to direct them to vehicles, safe houses, airplanes, uh, mode of of exiting the area of uh, the operation. And when he said that he was a bench warmer in the JFK assassination in Dallas, because there was others. There was one at, at, uh, group that was going to Tampa. There was another group that was going to kill JFK in Chicago. And maybe one or two other places. But he knew nothing about those groups. The group he was working with was going to get Kennedy in Dallas. And um, there's a picture of a gentleman on the street in Dallas, uh, crossing the street, going up towards the grassy knoll, that uh, very closely resembles what my father would have looked like at that time. And uh, when my father said that he was a bench warmer in that operation, um, <coughs> that, uh, that's a very very specific word it, it means you're part of the team but you're you're not an active participant unless you're needed. And from my father's history in the CIA and the things that he did during a coup d'etat and other assassination uh, attempts, um, it's, it's, uh, it, it fits in perfectly you know he would have been the guy to, to get the team uh, separated and on their way out of the city of Dallas into safety and uh, of course that wasn't necessary because they successfully killed JFK that day and yeah. I, although I, I think there was more to tell the pressure from uh, my father's uh, second wife and, and their children and, um, and his uh, CIA-appointed uh, attorney, Bill Snyder um, they, they tried everything they could to turn me against my dad to turn my dad against me and to convince my dad that he could never talk about this while he was alive uh because he would be immediately arrested there's no statute of limitations on a, um, on pre-knowledge of an assassination or being a, a co-conspirator and so under all this pressure my father um, finally agreed to uh, that he would not speak of it uh, any further and that uh, on his part of the deathbed confession was that uh, he gave this information to me and me alone and he wanted me to do something with it after he passed away. Well, that became a huge problem with the rest of my family and, and they, <clears throat> they said that if I even talked about this or contacted press or anything that I would lose them as my family for the rest of my life. And I did what my father wanted me to do and I lost my whole family over it. They, none of them will have spoken to me since then. They will not even answer a call or talk to me through a lawyer or anything. I'm, I'm not even part of them anymore.
2: And that's the price. And, and that's that's a sad price. And again, my heart goes out to you, because as I understand it, you uh, all you wanted to do, and and I think you've successfully done this to your credit. And uh, I, I would say, uh, America would thank you for getting this truth out there. Um, because there's so many i mean i don't i don't know of any other incident in our in our history that's been so uh, misrepresented with all of these theories but but here we have folks here we have with us saint john hunt the co-author with roger stone the bush crime family i would recommend highly recommend getting that book especially for christmas uh, if you have anyone in your family or you yourself or you yourself get that book please it's 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 an astounding book um and and also uh support in any way possible st john hunt and i say that from the heart um he a successful author and musician in his own right uh, in his own right but nonetheless okay, okay. Uh, boy there's a lot to unpack here the um the conversation that you had with your dad it's my understanding that there was a time at one point in time he basically had a piece of paper and a pen or a pencil and he wrote at the top of the page, LBJ. And the, then of course drew a line to Cord Meyer. Another line to David Morales and William Harvey. And then a, a line under Morales to French gunman Grassy Knoll. And then of course the, uh, uh, Lucien Sarti, the Corsican Mafia. Uh, Mafia Um, does that about summarize the line of conspiracy complicity
3: yeah it does I think think it goes on a little more than that but um, certainly uh, the main participants that my father uh, knew um, because of these meetings at the two safe houses were um, uh, David Morales William Harvey and Harvey was um, was a, a, a pretty high up officer, I think, at the same level as my father was in the CIA. But Harvey was a real a real troublemaker. My father described him as a as a psychotic uh, alcoholic, uh, psychotic uh, gun toting madman. Um, he was um, uh, viciously um, going on with uh, anti Castro. Attempts um, he had uh, he was also the, spot, the originator of the executive action uh, arm of the CIA, which was using Operation Forty members as assassins, um, <clears throat> but uh, using non-American mafia members uh, as assassins because that that link uh, might break. So when Robert Kennedy, uh, the Kennedys, um, told the CIA to stop the assassination attempts against Castro, and for all intent and purposes, uh, they felt that that had been achieved. But uh, William Harvey went on uh, to launch these missions against Castro, against Cuba, where he'd send a boatload of Cuban exiles over to Cuba, they'd burn uh, sugarcane fields, they'd uh, destroy radio towers, and and so forth. And uh, when Bobby Kennedy found out about this, he basically ended Harvey's career in CIA, demoted him, and sent him to Rome. Uh, in a subordinate position, a while in Rome, um, uh, uh, Bill Harvey continued his work uh, against Castro and against Cuba. But he also uh, recruited two Corsican assassins that uh, were part of the French heroin trade. Uh, this th- there, there's a there's a, a, a heroin trade going from Rome and Sicily to Marseille, France, where the heroin is uh, is processed, where the poppies, the opium is processed into the heroin and um, he scouted and recruited two uh, secret assassins. So Q.J. Wynn was one code and uh, Amlash, I think, was the other, or uh, W.I. Rogue, I think. Um, anyways, one of those was, uh, according to my father, one of the gunmen at in uh, Dealey Plaza. Now you have to understand, my father never read any books about the Kennedy assassination. He was completely not interested in what other people thought, or uh, Mark Lane's new book, or or so-and-so's new book about the medical evidence or, or any kind of book. He, and so this information coming from him was uh, from his personal knowledge. And, um, you know, Harvey was uh, definitely a very dangerous individual. And uh, my father and Harvey both had the vengeance out, and they had vengeance in their heart against against Kennedy, you know, whether it was misplaced or not. Um they felt that uh, President Kennedy was a, a national security risk uh, for this country. That uh, he was too uh, liberal thinking. That he wanted to make peace with Russia. He wanted to share uh, critical information with Russia about nuclear issues, about UFO issues, and uh, and, and besides that, his uh, his addiction to uh, to methamphetamine injections um, was a complete liability because they fueled this sexual. Uh, this, this incredible sexuality that President Kennedy was well known for. Well, that was because he was receiving meth injections from Dr. Matt, Max Jacobson. And, uh, some, a lot of men react to when they do methamphetamine to become crazed sex, you know, sex, they're just sex crazed. They just want to do sex. And that was definitely a problem with Kennedy. He had, uh, gone so far as to have sex in bed, uh, double agents from the Soviet Union that uh, J. Edgar Hoover knew Campbell, Campbell I think, agents. right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah. yeah, yeah. and yeah. Mafia, mafia girls too so, um, you know, they they really felt into my father's dying day he felt that he had done the right thing in, in his participation and, and knowledge of the uh, assassination of President John F. Kennedy which uh, happened today so many years ago, but it is such mm. It is so important to, um, with all these new files coming out, it's so important to, to, uh, for this country, I think, to finally admit, which I don't really think they'll ever do, that persons, not officially CIA mandate, but persons in the CIA chose it upon themselves to murder Kennedy. And, of course, they had to have the collusion of the FBI and the Dallas police. This was all easily done and overall they had to have the participation and the green light of LBJ who 15 years ago if you had said LBJ was involved you would have been considered a nutcase but now more and more and more evidence more memos, more files are coming out uh, and and um, personal recollections of people that LBJ uh, was, um, first of all he was going to be dropped from the ticket uh, the presidential ticket as vice president secondly, right. Bobby Kennedy had a complete investigation ongoing against LBJ, and he was going to be um, subpoenaed and probably arrested for the fraud that he had committed in the Senate and on his rise to power. He was involved in several murders of uh, local Texan politicians and people of power in Texas to further his p- political a- uh, gains. And my father told me many times that LBJ. Was uh, at the head of this conspiracy, not in in terms of planning the, the actual motorcade route or who was going to be positioned where to shoot, but giving giving the operation a green light and then getting Hoover to uh, take all the evidence out of Dallas and into Washington D.C. where they had control of it and the uh, the fact that um, um, that uh, the autopsy was. Uh, the x-rays were forged and and fraudulently recreated this is not a mafia thing the mafia can't can't dictate how an autopsy is going to go the mafia can't dictate where the evidence is going to be stored this is an internal government operation of people that all felt that Kennedy was a liability to this country so then it happened
2: it's out of a sense of patriotism your father acted your father was a part of this out of a sense of patriotism, out of a sense of uh, saving our republic, I guess. Um, and you bore witness to that in your own way. Uh and, and I think one... i got a couple of questions, if you don't mind. Um, yeah. but okay, the, the first question I have, you do mention David Attlee Phillips. Now, I don't know... uh uh, how do you feel about Judith Very Baker's book Me and Lee because she identifies David Atlee Phillips in her book as well as being um, uh, a node a CIA it basically puts a lot of blame onto Atlee Phillips for the assassination do you agree with Judith Very Baker in her book I mean have you read it uh, and I'm sorry if I'm taking you kind of off guard with that question oh. I don't mean, that, I don't mean no, to
3: that's that's fine. I believe, first of all, I, I met Judith Jerry Baker um, several years ago. I knew, I really knew nothing about her, so I, I, she came to me at a conference, a very small conference in San Francisco in 2012, and we met, and I had, I had no idea. I don't read assassination books, I don't follow conspiracy theories, and when I speak, I only speak about what I know firsthand, and that's it. If someone calls or asks me a question about, well, what happened to JFK's brain, or or this or that, you know. I just say, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know anything about it, and I'm not going to give my opinion on something that that I don't know firsthand from hearing it from my father. So I can't help you there. But Judith came to me, and then I did read her book. Um, <clears throat> I believe she is truthful. David Attlee Phillips certainly was uh, up to his eyeballs in this in this uh, in this conspiracy to kill JFK first of all, he, he was thought to be Lee Harvey Oswald's handler for many years, although uh, finding proof of that was elusive, uh, both for the, um, the uh, 1975 uh, Rockefeller Commission and then the other commission on assassinations. I think it was the Church Committee. Um, but uh, the investigators for those committees felt that David Attlee Phillips was, in fact, Oswald's handler. He was also station chief in Mexico City, at the time that Oswald supposedly went to the Mexican, the Cuban embassy, the Russian embassy to ask for visas to go into Cuba. Um, he was also, um, he was recruited by my father, as a matter of fact. Uh, they were very close uh, until later on in, in years. Um, but um, David Atley Phillips was definitely a very integral part in this, this whole uh, thing about, uh, with Oswald specifically because Oswald, <coughs> Um, was a Marine, and then he studied Russian, and he was, he was, um, recruited by the, the ONI, the Office of Naval Intelligence. And in the Office of Naval Intelligence, he was then loaned to the CIA. Now, in 1959, Bill Harvey, who uh, we've spoken about, uh, ran a very secret operation of false detection into Russia. Only three people knew about this, this program. And Oswald, uh, was one of the people that uh, joined this false defector um, program, and then was and then went to Russia and defected. Well, then when he came back, uh, he was maneuvered by by David Atlee Phillips uh, and, and others in the CIA um, in whatever way they wanted for him to look, and they portrayed him as a communist sympathizer, a sympathizer of Castro, when in fact Lee Harvey Oswald actually was. Uh, uh, someone that loved President Kennedy uh, someone who was much more conservative that was anti-communist anti-Castro and pro-America and uh, and I applaud Judith Barry Baker for coming out and, and taking huge amounts of ridicule and uh, uh, yeah. disbelief from many many uh, people involved in the JFK research community but now she's accepted uh, with, with open arms because her story has been vetted Witnesses right. have come from New Orleans and said, "Yeah, they saw Lee Oswald with Judith Very Baker," and uh, you know her account of her of her time with uh, with Lee Oswald is it's another very human, touching story. It's great. It,
2: indeed, yeah, in, indeed, it, it, indeed. Now, now, just to be clear as well, uh, your father giving you the details uh, I, I mean, in his final days, in his final years, giving you the details he gave you. Just to be clear about this, the Watergate issue, the Watergate, the, that whole Watergate deal, was a, a lot of people look at that and they say, "Well, it just a third-rate burglary." And, and you know the, the, you've lived through the characterizations and mischaracterizations of that. Just to be clear, that Watergate, the whole Watergate issue, the whole Watergate situation was something, something totally different. And by the way, I I do want to make sure we give you time to um, to address uh, Caroline Kennedy, and we will do that. But uh, if you can just once again reinforce the water how Watergate fits into this, just so people, our listeners, are clear on this.
3: Right. Well, Watergate, um, the Watergate team uh, contained uh, many members of uh, Operation Forty, who had been involved with my father in the conspiracy against JFK. Namely, uh, Frank Sturgis, Bernard Barker, and my father. Um, but what people have to understand is that, um is that the CIA was monitoring everything that Nixon was doing, uh, in his, uh, attempts to get information, get intelligence, uh, not only on other politicians, uh, the Democrats, but also, uh, there was a, uh, a file that, uh, was purported to be, uh, Held by the Democrats in in the Watergate DNC office, and this file was a file that had been sent by Fidel Castro uh, to um, the members of the of the Democratic Party, and this file contained uh, every assassination attempt uh, against uh, Castro done by the CIA, and it also included the fact that Nixon was uh, the Vice President at the time and. Was instrumental in supporting the assassination attempts against Castro. And this is the same, some of the same evidence, um, that my father had against Nixon years later, causing my mother's death. Uh, and Nixon wanted to get a hold of this file. Uh, he felt that the Democrats were going to reveal that Nixon green lighted assassination attempts on foreign leaders, which at the time was something really unheard of. It wasn't until later on in the seventies that that uh, these committees openly talked about this, these assassination parts of the CIA that went around killing uh, foreign dignitaries and embassy people uh, that uh, that were that presented themselves as a problem to to American foreign policy. Um, and so, um, part of the reason for the Watergate burglary was was to find evidence of this file and to get the file, hopefully. Um, but Watergate, the burglaries were a very multi-layered. Operation. In other words, James McCord, who was uh, the wireman, he also taped the locks back to keep the doors open on the different floors leading up to the offices of the DNC. He had his own agenda. He was there for uh, reasons to me that are still kind of murky. Uh, two of the Cubans were still contract agents for the CIA. My dad, although publicly he had he had left the CIA in 1970, and this is Watergate it was in 72. He was still reporting directly back to Richard Helms, who was the director of the CIA, about everything that Nixon was doing with the Plumbers, which was the name that was given to my father's and Gordon Liddy's intelligence gathering uh, uh, unit uh, working for Nixon in the White House. And so um, that third, there was two other um, burglaries into that office that were successful. Uh, Bugs were planted in telephones, and files were looked through, and photographs, safes were opened, and my father did not understand the reason for the third entry, um, aside from the fact that one of the bugs in the phone, uh, in one of the phones didn't didn't work, and uh, when they my when it was determined on that night of June 17th that the tapes that McCord placed on the latches holding them open had been removed by security people at the DNC, my father said, "This it's done, we're out of here. He wanted to abort the mission. Gordon Liddy, who was my father's operational superior in that mission, vetoed my father's instructions to the Cubans and pressed them to continue with uh, with uh, gaining entry into the office. But um, I've read some books about that. Douglas Caddy, who was my father's, in the Watergate burglar's first attorney, during the first weeks of Watergate uh, um, wrote a very interesting book and, and he outlines how uh, many, many, many people in the D.C. area politicians, security people, intelligence groups CIA, NSA, the Washington D.C. police the metro police they knew that these break-ins were occurring now people have said that the C.I.A. wanted to uh, get rid of Nixon well that's, that's probably true the reason Nixon formed the Plumbers Unit in the first place was because he wasn't getting any cooperation from the CIA or the FBI uh, to bug uh, phones, to uh, to get files and things like that 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 he that he wanted. They just were unwilling to work with Nixon on any level. So he formed this intelligence gathering group called the Plumbers, with my dad and Gordon Liddy, James McCord. And then my father brought the Cubans up from Miami to do the break-ins and photographing uh, documents and such. But uh, a lot about Watergate uh, is still unknown, and remains to uh, to be vetted out somehow. Uh, and uh, okay. certainly, my you know certainly my father expected uh, uh, to all go away within a few days. So someone was going to make a phone call and say, "Release these guys. This is a CIA operation, or this is a national security situation." But it never happened. Um, they were unwilling to to do that for Nixon. So Nixon toppled. Uh, hmm. In sort of a, a coup d'état. I don't know how much of that is it, what the whole reason was, but I certainly know that uh, that Nixon, um, you know, uh, it, uh, it created uh, because of the, the things my father knew and, and such uh, his uh, his resignation.
2: Wow uh, and I think that that really describes. The, thank you for outlining and, and characterizing that for what it was and and that, that, to me that clarifies a lot and I think that uh, the people following this appreciate that characterization as well now now before we get too much further and we've got only about 15 minutes left with you or 10, 12 minutes I guess I don't know, whatever it is you have written an open apology to Carolyn Kennedy and I know John our producer had in fact I've got the letter in my hand right now and you had asked the that uh, you be allowed, of course, um, to to read this to Carolyn Kennedy. Uh, would you like to do so now, sir? Um, sure, you know, I would uh,
3: very much like to do that.
2: Well, okay, and, and folks, our guest, St. John Hunt, the son of E. Howard Hunt. What he's about to read is an open apology to Carolyn Kennedy, um, and here it is. Uh, go ahead, sir.
3: Well, I I first wrote this letter last year and um, I only read it once and that was at the Dallas uh, uh, conference JFK assassination conference and uh, I'd been carrying the information that my dad had told me and I released it to Rolling Stone and then the media picked it up and this and that but not the mainstream media but I, I had felt a, such um, a heartbreaking responsibility and I, I felt that no one had apologized to the Kennedys for this horrible thing. So finally I realized I have to apologize and I have to write a letter to Caroline and hope that somehow she hears it or reads it or something. And I actually mailed it uh, several times to the the embassy in Japan where I I thought she was uh, working Um, uh, and uh, it probably didn't get to her. But this year I've had some better luck and there are two sources that uh, are in touch with RFK Jr., um, and uh, hopefully I can get the letter to him and he can send it off to his sister and <clears throat> I'm going to read it now um, it is with the deepest respect and honesty that I reach out to you I feel a great deal of sorrow for actions involving my father which may have led to the death of your father in 1963 my father E. Howard Hunt as a CIA officer had knowledge of plans to eliminate your father, President John F. Kennedy I know this because my father confessed to this this to me shortly before he died. It is a burden I will always carry. I cannot imagine the loss you experienced at such a young age. In the ensuing years, you have carried yourself with great dignity and grace in the face of public speculation about your father's death. No one has ever, to my knowledge, offered any kind of apology for this horrible, excuse me, horrible and unforgivable. Unforgivable crime. It seems an insignificant gesture to apologize, but that is all I'm able to do. I can empathi- empathize with your loss because my mother, Dorothy, was killed in 1972 under very curious circumstances after threatening to blow the White House out of the water. So, for what it's worth, I am deeply regretful for my father's role, whatever it may have been, in the death of your father. I am so sorry that history has been cruel to your family in ways most of us won't even understand in spite of it all you have chosen not to be hateful and for that alone I respect and admire you from the bottom of my heart I offer this sincere apology and hope that you find it comforting that someone cares enough about you and what you've lost to come forward and say I'm sorry sincerely Saint John Hunt
2: Well, wow that my friend is a moving um and I, I got to tell you we we've got uh we got a couple of men in the studio here with a tear in their eye and um it, it's something that thank you i mean just thank you and, and i i know yeah. that that's going to be tough that's just going to be so rough um and i i, I, can, t- I can i can promise you this the audio portion of this will be will make its way to the right people. I, 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 that is, I, I give you my promise.
3: That's all I ask. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just tired of, of carrying this around with me. You know, um, like I said, I try not to, to have anything. To, it, it doesn't monopolize my life, but, but I know that, I know that somehow she needs to hear, um, how sorry. Other people are too for their part or their parents' part. Everyone's pretty much dead by now, but I don't know. I guess I am I was tasked with the legacy my father left me, which was to bring the information out that he had told me. I mean, he sent me a tape. There's this famous tape, uh, his deathbed confession tape that he sent to me. I didn't even know he was going to send anything to me. I just opened my mailbox in Eureka, California one day, and there was a package from my dad. It was a cassette tape. I put it in my cassette player in the living room, and and then his voice comes booming out and he, uh, he describes, uh, you know, the uh, JFK assassination operation, he names people, and he, and he says, you know, he's giving this information to me and me alone. And, uh, and, uh, that was very compelling. I took back with me from the last visit I had with him in Miami, uh, I took back with uh, the handwritten notes that he had, that he had written, uh, uh during the times that we met for this, uh, for our project, which turned out not to be a successful project because of the pressure that he was under to i mean i, I totally understand that i mean wiregate alone ruined our family you know my sisters and i never talk about it. it's never been spoken about in our family and uh, uh so um his great concern was well what is jfk revelations going to do to my second family it's going to cause a complete press storm a whirlwind of of accusations, uh, of support and denials, and uh, I can't, I can't do this, uh, I can't do this to my second family, and I, I understood that in the end, he was, uh, he, he cared more for his family than he did about getting this information out, and I, I have to respect that. So it's my task, and that's uh, my task, and that's why I guess I feel so, so responsible for apologizing to young Caroline. Um, I mean, you know, and she has. Shown such grace and poise throughout all of this, never being hateful that's so I, I admire that so much and I hope she gets this apology somehow and takes it seriously and if ever she could just you know just I got it or something you know signaled somehow to somebody that thank you or, or anything just to know that it, I've, that the message has gotten through, boy would that take some some weight off my shoulders?
2: Well, the the least that we can do, because you poured your heart out, you shared with us the the emotion, that the impact that all of this has had on your life, and believe me, folks, um, I, I've got a lot of respect for Saint John Hunt, given the fact, I mean, we're close in age, and what this, uh, I can only imagine the trauma, and and then of course dealing with um, your, your ill father and the whole process and then then being shunned and, but your entire life but yet now you've come out the other side you are a successful author, you are a successful musician you are a guy that, that has got a, a lot of great a lot of greatness within him by doing what you're doing and that's not false flattery that's just fact so thank, thank you for that and, and and I really respect that um in the closing moments we have, we've only got, let me see, what do we got, uh, Tech Eric? We only have uh, what? Three, minutes. three minutes left. Is there anything you want to say in the last, uh, we got about two and a half minutes now, anything you want to say, the floor is yours, and, and before you, you do that, I just want to thank you again for being part of our program, but, but say whatever is on your heart okay. in the last two and a half minutes.
3: Well, I want to um, say that um, it is because of people like yourself, Uh, The Hagman Report, and people in the JFK research community that have devoted their lives, that have devoted their shows uh, to go on record and say, um, we want the truth, whether it's about the assassination of JFK or whether it's about 9-11 or whether it's about anything. Um, It's because of you, you, my friend, that we are able to have a vehicle, an avenue, uh, a place that will not settle for less than the truth no matter what the cost and I give my heart and my respect and admiration to to you there at, and everybody at the Hagman Report and also to all the JFK researchers that have given their practically their entire lives at the cost probably of their marriages uh, and, and all that sort of thing uh, to continuing to research and there's a lot more to research, and um, we, have to, we have to continue pressing forward. And I know you at, at your, in, in, in your show are going to continue to do that, and that is deeply gratifying to me. So thank you so much for having the platform and continuing your fight to uncover the truth. Thank you.
2: Well, well, well thank you, St. John Hunt. May God bless you, and I do hope you have a great Thanksgiving. And I, 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 hope that you, I, I, I wish the very best on, for you. And by the way, um, if I ever get out to your area, coffee and, uh, shake your hand uh-huh. for sure. Absolutely. Right. Fort
3: Lauderdale. You're welcome in my apartment anytime. All right, my brother.
2: Thank You're you welcome. so very much. Thank you, too, of, brother. All right, man. That, that was St. John Hunt and, and you've got to understand, you know, there's no magazine article. There's no, there's no, nothing in print. That can give you the essence of the character of the man of St. John Hunt. He's been through the mill. He's been through the roughest, the most traumatic times. You have to understand where he's coming from. And I've read so much, but there's nothing like hearing it, is there? Not at all. That was a a very
1: heartwarming story and Mm -hmm. and note there. And uh, think of what he grew up in and how tough that must have been. And uh, here we are today and he's still sharing information that he has that was passed down to him from his parents about the assassination of JFK on this 54th anniversary of that assassination in
2: Dallas, Texas. And and thank you so much, Bill McIntosh, Okasa Media. Uh, And then thank you, John, our producer. You know, giving thanks. I give thanks for everyone, including you, the listener and viewer, to the Hagman Report and and our family, of our team here as well. Folks, we be right back with with Pastor David Langford on the other side.
1: of the Hagman Report on this eve of the Thanksgiving holiday of 2017 which we are so looking forward to. We have Pastor David Langford with us and we're going to bring him on in just a moment. Just a few quick uh, pieces of information. First one don't forget Greenovative is starting their sale tomorrow, Thursday Thanksgiving through the end of Cyber Monday with a 30% discount on all individual products sold at Greenovative. Go to greenovative.com and check out all the the packs they got and the bundles as well as all the individual products and you can receive a 30% discount off all individual items at greenovative.com. Just use the promo code Hagman and thank you to Greenovative for the great deals you put together for the Hagman Report audience.
2: And since, and Joe, and, and since this kind of kicks off, I don't, I'm, I'm really not keen on the commercialization of our holidays, Thanksgiving especially, uh, but since this kicks off this shopping spree, you know, um, shopping with a purpose, there's something to be said about that. In other words, what I'm saying is, we know bad times are coming, prepare, 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 right? And you can, you can shop with a purpose without being, um, uh, what is that? Conspicuous consumption. In other words. I never go to the store just to oh, look around. I always I, know what I need to get. That, I go, I get it, and that's I right. leave. That's right. And, and I, when I shop, if, well, no, never mind. But, but, um, again, I got my turkey. And I, I shot, I shot the turkey today. Um, again, it was in the frozen section, frozen food section. I, I, you know, after, after the gunshot, uh, the shotgun went off, uh, it scared a lot of people, but I got my turkey. I also got a citation, but, um Hey, nonetheless, but 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 here's. I, I just want to say this before we bring Pastor Langford on. Ready-made resources, go there, shop, prepare, 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 prepare. If if you want to buy something for the upcoming holidays, make it purposeful. And and, and I'm just saying that because we know bad times are coming. We know things are coming. Uh, who knows? To is, is tomorrow. The Thanksgiving Day holiday here in America will tomorrow be the last normal Thanksgiving we have. It could very well be. So think ahead, and, and not just about yourself. Think about your family. You've got that responsibility. Ready-made resources. Go to ready-made resources. Contact Bob Griswold, eight hundred sixty-seven thirty-eight zero nine, and uh, you, you can go to our, our you can go to our home page and click on the the link. Thanks to Tech Eric. Uh, for ready-made resources. And lastly before I just want to give a personal thank you today right now to everyone in studio today. I I want to give thanks to Joe as for being a great co-host. I want to give thanks to John for being a great producer and I want to give thanks my personal thanks and public thanks to Eric the tech for being such a great, not just a great tech, but a great son in law, a great addition to the family. And of course, my daughter Jackie works in the office with my wife. I want to thank all of you, uh, working very hard to make this operation what it is, because without you, we couldn't be here. And most importantly, our guests, such as Pastor David Langford, the, um, and you, you heard St. John Hunt. People like that make the show. Our guests make the show. But we would be nothing without our listeners and our viewers and a very special heartwarming heartfelt thanks to everyone listening to this broadcast or everyone viewing this broadcast lastly hey i know guys your wives are going to be up early tomorrow putting the turkeys in the oven preparing the turkeys right let's help help your wife out will you lift the turkeys for her clean the guts out you know the 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 stuff inside then you stick your hand in there Instead of your wife doing it. Help, help her out. And carry the, the turkey from the oven or to the sink to the oven or whatever you got to do. Don't make her do that. And, and when you do that, bring along the Doug Hagman radio show to play in the background and listen to tomorrow's broadcast, which will be live as well as John and Joe's Hagman Daily Show. That's all I've got to say. I don't mean to take up any more time from Pastor David Langford. Let's bring him on with the voice of evangelism. Pastor?
0: Hey, gentlemen, how are you guys tonight?
2: Fantastic. Doing great. Great. What's, uh, well, happy Thanksgiving, first of all.
0: Well, happy Thanksgiving to you guys and all the listeners tonight. It is a time, uh, certainly without a doubt to be thankful. I, uh, indeed. go ahead, Doug.
2: No, indeed. I, I just, I, I, I argue, you know, if, if you're living in America today and you've got, you've, you've, you, you are, I feel, and I know this, this is overused, but I feel so blessed by so many things, by family, by friends, by a, a great, environment a great job and by being here by being an american and and uh, above all by being blessed by god i I just you know those people who i I just feel blessed and and i'm thankful for that and i'm thankful for you so that's all i was going to say
0: well you know i want to read an article because we are blessed and regretfully we don't know how to appreciate our our blessedness we don't know how to be thankful for our blessedness but i We've all seen the, the, the North Korean soldier trying to escape North Korea, and of course, he did get across, and some South Korean soldiers pulled him into a place of, of safety. But it said, parasitic worms and a chronic liver infection identified in a North Korean soldier who dramatically defected, are providing clues into health conditions inside the secretive rogue state, experts said Wednesday. The soldier was shot up to five times and needed extensive amount of surgery. The defector, whose last name is O, requires surgery treatment for his wounds, and including extensive surgery. Doctors discovered a large number and multiple forms of parasitic worms. Some of the parasites removed were as long as 10 inches, according to the South Korean doctors who treated him. One type of worm they discovered is typically found in dogs. In my 20 years as a surgeon, I have only seen something like this in a medical textbook, Lee Cook-Jong, the man surgeon told reporters on November the 15th. At, other briefing, at another briefing Wednesday, Lee revealed the soldier also had hepatitis B, which is a serious risk factor for liver cancer. There's much more to the story, and they're also showing uh, these worms, these parasites that are uh, look like they're as large as a in diameter as a nickel to a quarter, and, and over ten inches long. And what that tells you is the enormity of human feces they're using as fertilizer in North Korea. And what I find astounding about this man's willingness to risk his life to escape that this man without a doubt every day is brainwashed and telling him he's living in a utopia and over the other side uh, in South Korea it, it's 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 so detrimental to him in, in, in every way health life food clothing shelter everything is just off the charts in a negative manner but you know it spoke to my heart they could not get into his mind to that degree to make him believe that it was much worse in South Korea than it was in North Korea so he took it upon himself to risk his life and no doubt the man may have been married he may have had children I'm confident he had a a mom and a dad but I thought about us as Christians you know the the enemy will do so much uh, to literally, physically try to brainwash us and make us believe negative things, but something deep down inside of him. And, and I would not doubt if this man at all was a Christian. He was a believer. Because something greater inside of him told him, no, it's better in South Korea than it is here in North Korea. It's, it's, it's There's more peace, prosperity, there's blessing, whatever the case might be, but there was something innate deep down inside of him that convinced him there had to be something better because he, he risked his life. I mean, they shot at him with pistols and the AK-47s. I mean, they were trying to kill the man. But it, it spoke to my heart as a Christian. They couldn't get to him. He had hope. He had something deep down inside of him that gave him hope. That somehow led him to believe that there has to be something better over on the other side and that's why as a Christian today America has been so blessed and we all should be so thankful because we weren't born in a nation like that we we were born in America and I know we have our problems and needless to say we have a plethora of problems but to think tomorrow that most of us can sit down and we can have dinner with our family we can reminisce of yesterday, yestertimes, uh when we were younger, we can reminisce those things when the kids were little, et cetera. And these people in these other countries, uh, they, they don't they don't have that blessedness. They don't they 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 don't have an environment where they can really be thankful other than as a Christian, they can thank God for the redemption that Jesus provided on the cross. And that's why we need to understand that as America Uh, We need to be so much more thankful that we have the liberties to come, to go, to do as we please. And I know we're getting more and more encroached upon every day. Uh, The beast system is is doing its thing. It's working, uh, working in the dark of the night. And every time we turn around, there's there's another encroachment in our lives. But we still have freedom. We still can worship our God. And that's why uh, right now at this particular time in our history, uh, this is an important time with, with, with Donald Trump. As I, as I said, I believe it was last week I spoke about the number 45, meaning preservation. Uh, I don't know how long this preservation is going to to last. I, I watched the imbecile, uh, uh, LeVar Ball, who was so unwilling uh, to give Donald Trump any kind of thanks for helping to get his son out of jail in china and, and it's i said yes sir. if
1: i can just jump in on this real quick sure uh, one of the things that's interesting about this story with china is these three basketball players from ucla ucla got caught shoplifting in china which carries a prison sentence of five to ten years now one of the the boy's fathers is this lavar ball i have no idea who this guy is except for reading about in the last few days but What Donald Trump did during his Asia trip was get these three students released back to the United States instead of having to go to jail for the next five to ten years. And the news networks took issue with Trump asking for uh, a thank you for getting them out of jail. But instead he was met with this LeVar Ball making claims that Trump didn't do anything. He's not going to say thank you to him. He even went as far as to do some kind of satire piece on CNN with Chris Cuomo where they went back and forth for five to ten minutes, uh, you know, asking each other if they were going to thank each other. It was really strange, but it is this just this attitude of ungratefulness, uh, and, and it goes much further than that. As you said, it's like a it's a hatred thing.
0: Well, it's prophetic. This is what this is what struck me, whether that was satire or what I, I don't know. Uh, but what struck me was how adamant and how unyielding he was. To give any kind of thanks, but you know, Paul in Second Timothy three, verse two said, "For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud." Now, Lavar Bell, he, he's a boaster and he's a proud man because he's not willing to thank God. Then Paul said they would be blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and then unthankful and unholy. So we see the spirit of unthankfulness. An absolute unwillingness to give any kind of thanks and you know people say well it was beneath the presidency to tweet or do anything this man is not politically correct it's like I said in Branson I held up the Word of God I said this Bible will never ever be politically correct it never will be I I don't care what the world does what the world says no, no matter what transpires, no matter what takes place, the word of God will never ever become politically correct. And this is what's this is what's champing everybody about Donald Trump, even with his little tweets. It, it, it's just grit in their crawl, and it, and it bothers them so terribly because he just you know he's he's a maverick. He shoots from the hip. Uh, he does as he pleases, and uh, it doesn't matter what the repercussions might be, but. What I recognize there is the truth, the truth, because the man will not say thank you. Because, see, that would be demonstrating an act of humility, to have to thank the president of these United States. Now, I promise you, if he had been treated like uh, Warmeyer, the, 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 the young man that went to prison in North Korea, and Donald Trump had gotten him out, he would be on his knees thanking him had he been able to save his life, of course. But this is the this is what proud and haughty and hard hearts do. They they refuse to be thankful. They they refuse to have a, a heart of gratitude, a heart of gratefulness, rendering thankfulness to God. You know, God gave us rulers. You know, I know many people misunderstand Romans chapter thirteen, but the powers that be Paul said they are ordained of God, whether they're good at that time in our lives or whether they're evil. Why? Because we get what we deserve as a nation. Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. They are ordained. Of, they have been established by God. Now, if it's wicked leaders, God says that's what you deserve. If, if, if people have prayed, and I believe many did pray, and we've got somebody in there that's demonstrating some semblance of Christianity, that's ordained of God. And so uh, Paul went on to say that rulers, they're not supposed to be a terror to good works, but to evil. And the, the leadership that we have had for years has 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 been for terror. But, but rulers are to be against terror. They're to be against evil. But they haven't been like that because God gave us those wicked leaders, because that's what we deserve. I mean, this nation, uh, and and I know people say, well, there's worse nations, and that's true. But when you measure the the debasedness according to the knowledge, look at the people in North Korea. They don't have the right to pull out a Bible on Main Street and just stand there and read it. But you can go anywhere in America and stand on Main Street and just sit there and read You don't have to preach or, or read it aloud. Just read it. You can't do that in North Korea. They'll put you in prison. They may even kill you. And, and the point I'm trying to say is it is a privilege, it is a blessing that we should be thankful for. I, you know, I'm glad I wasn't born in North Korea. I'm, I'm glad I was born in America. I, I'm glad that my, my, my heritage was one of Christianity. I, I know the truth whether I live it or not. That's a, that's a different story. But but I have the opportunity to know the truth. People in those countries, they don't have an opportunity to know the truth. That's why, to me, it was so powerful, this man risking his life on foot. There's been several who have uh, flown some of those old, I think, MiG jets out of North Korea to, to some of the Air Force bases in South Korea. We know a lot of them infiltrate into China. A lot of times China sends them back, but my point is, there was something innate, something way deep down inside of that man that he was willing, willing to risk his life. Now, hepatitis C, eat up with parasites, but there was something, there was an impetus deep down in him. And I have to believe, I don't know the man, I don't know anything about the man, I have to believe somehow he had faith in God. There was something deep down inside of him that said there is an opportunity, but you, but you got to get to the to the purported promised land. you you, you got to get over there. Life is better. Life is good. Life is blessed. And somehow he believed that, whether he was given a, a gospel track or somebody in his family, mom, dad, grandparents, told him about Jesus Christ. But, but there had to be something uh, extraordinary deep in his heart Uh, to make him risk his life like that. And then we see on the flip side, LeVar Ball, who's, uh, I'm I'm not thanking anybody. He said, now how he put my, Trump put my son on Air Force One and brought him home, I I might have have rendered uh, a a thankfulness attitude, but he didn't do that. And, And I thought the smug arrogancy and the pride and the disdain that people have, listen, anytime anyone helps you, you need to be thankful I, I don't care how small it is or how large of a, of a blessing it is or aid or assistance we should be thankful for that and thank God for that you know people people have a, a, a profuse misunderstanding of who Jesus is when you go back and you read the 23rd chapter of Matthew Jesus he made a lot of derogatory statements against the religious crowd. He called them Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. Uh, he called them blind guides. He called them fools. He called them blind. He called them serpents. He called them a generation of vipers. I mean, he, you know, he, 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 he was not this passive, you know, what would Jesus do, Savior? He just said it like it was and see people don't like that that's what they don't like about donald trump that's why they don't like it because he may tweet something he's not attempting whatsoever to be politically correct and i assure you there's an element of thankfulness in him because anybody that has any sense at all in any kind of a relationship with christ knows you didn't get where you are by happenstance or by accident if you ever ride down a country road and you see a turtle sitting on top of a fence post. No, he didn't get there by himself. Somebody put him there. Do, Joe, Doug, myself, everyone listening tonight. You are where you are. You are what you are by the grace of God. God intervenes in the most wicked men's lives when He so chooses to intervene. Like Pharaoh, he's a fine example. Uh, we we look at Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God, when He gets ready, He can move in anyone's life and demand indirectly that they acknowledge He is God. What did Pharaoh say? Who is this God that I should obey? Because the Pharaoh that was alive under the leadership of Joseph was dead and gone. Because Israel was in bondage four hundred thirty years, so Israel grew as a nation, but they literally grew into bondage. And all of these other pharaohs that that grew up or came up after that pharaoh, Ramses, I forget which one it was, but whatever which one he was, he was dead and gone, so these other ones didn't know Jehovah. And, And so when Moses went down to Pharaoh's courts and said, God said, let my people go, his rebuttal was, who is this God that I should obey? And so what God did, God brought judgment on every one of their gods in the land. You know, they, they, they believed that frogs had deity. Well, God was, guess what God did? He sent frogs. He sent lice. He sent hell. He sent blood. I, he did all of the, he was, he was attacking all of their gods. And of course, the last one, Pharaoh's son would have been his, uh, uh, predecessor. He would have, he would have followed him. And so that's why God said, because you touched my firstborn Israel, I'm going to touch all of your firstborn. And so every person that had a male child, and Pharaoh did, God, God took him out. And that was the linchpin, per se, that suffered Pharaoh to let the people go. But then his heart became so hard, he he went after them. And this is why men that think they can uh, finagle with God is, is absurd. Uh, I, I quote this verse so many times, Revelation 17:17. 17, 17, For God hath put it in their hearts to fulfill his will You know we oftentimes want to think we're Independent that we only do What we want to do uh, Sometimes we may get angry And we may be uh, Forceful and we're say, I'm going to do it this way you know, Whether it's just a bigger hammer or a bigger two before But see God can put it into A man's heart he said To fulfill his will If you go back and you read The, the uh, 11th chapter Of, of he- uh, Romans It it is a scary, scary thing Uh, when you look at the deity and the majesty of God, what God is able to do. He can make one man a vessel fitted for wrath. He can make another man a vessel fitted unto destruction. Why? Because he's God. You know, I said, I think Romans 11, it's Romans chapter 9. In that chapter, Paul goes through a litany of things that God does and and he talks about there are some vessels of wrath that are fitted for destruction, and there are some that are fitted for honor. And so God honored the man Moses and dishonored Pharaoh. Both of them were men. But God said, I'm going to harden his heart. You know, I'm going I'm I'm to cause his heart to become calloused. And I, I watch this Levar Bell, and I think, sir, your heart is becoming calloused because he doesn't realize he's going to stand before God one day and every knee will bow the Bible says Romans fourteen eleven says it is written as I live saith the Lord every knee shall bow to me every tongue shall confess unto God so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God and it doesn't matter who we are you know there will be no uh, big eyes and little use in judgment you know if you're if you're a janitor or you have been a president of the United States the, the, the playing field is level. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There, there's no one who has authority or lordship but one. And that's Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And Jesus said, you know, that He said, the Father has given all judgment into my hand. I, I, I'm going to be the one to meet out every measure of judgment. John 5 and 22, Jesus said, for the Father judgeth no man. But hath committed all judgment unto the Son. Now, he's going to give him that authority, and then we're all going to be subjected to that. And that's why he said, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. There will be no one at at the, the, the bar of Christ. No one will have to be told, hey, pal, you need to bow down. You know you you need to get on your knees this 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 is God here you you need to humble yourself and bow your knees. no one will have to be told that it it will be that innate feeling that says you better get down because this 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 deity is for real this is not this is not a joke this is not a a flam. Fam. this is real why because the power of God is so awesome and and we'll be in his presence you know and um I, when we're in his presence in that degree. I don't care if you are a saint, you're still going to be humbled and broken because of His presence. It's, it's so powerful. They would say the mountains, they melt like wax at His presence. You look at the great Rocky Mountains and then think about uh, comparing that to a huge block of wax and then turning the heat upon it and, and melting it. That's That's how awesome God is in His deity and majesty. And so, so many times in our lives, and one of the things that happens to us as Christians, we, we get in a, a, a place, a state, of we have this continuation of, of negativity. You know, we, every day we get up, there's just something wrong, something does not work out, something does not flow well, uh, something breaks down. We, we, we get a bill in the mail. It's just negative, 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 negative. And the only way to negate that is to be thankful. That's how we negate the negativity from taking hold of ourselves, because it's easy. It's easy for all of us. At one time or another, when things begin to kind of pile up on us, it's easy to get negative and start saying things. And, you know, the sermon I preached out in Bozeman, all these things are against me. But there was nothing against Jacob. It was all for his good. It was all for his blessing. But he couldn't see that because of where he was. And so he began to make false statements like, I'm going to go to my grave, a old gray-haired, white-headed man, dying in, in bereavement and brokenness. But that's not how he died. But that's what he was saying. That's what he was speaking. That's what was in his heart because of the negativity. Joseph is not, Simeon is not, and you will take Benjamin away. He said, all these things are against me. There's some people listening tonight, right now. It's Thanksgiving, and and you're you're home alone, and that's not trying to be funny or facetious here. You're by yourself. Uh, maybe maybe you are you're you're in a state of bereavement. You just lost a spouse. Uh, uh, maybe it's divorce. It's uh, numerous things can happen, and you, and you feel like you're all alone and nobody cares for you. That's not true. That's what the devil wants you to say. That's what the devil wants you to believe. But God said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. But I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, this is, this is a hard time on people who are single or, or, going through a divorce, going through a separation. A loved one has passed away from now till New Year's. It's, it's a, it's a difficult time for a lot of people. But, uh, Philippians 4, 6, Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I love what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned, in whatsoever state I am therewith, to be content. And the key word there in Philippians 4, verse 11, is learned. For I have learned. God just did not gift Paul. He did not bless Paul with this uh, contentment. He he grew into this place and state of contentment. For he said, I have learned when you learn something, it is a process. It is, a, is the comprehension of understanding, a multiplication table. You have to get it in your head. You have to get it in your mind. Once you get it, you know without a doubt, four times four is 16. Five times five is 25. But getting there there it, is the learning process, and some people get it real quick. Some people don't. It, it's a process. And Paul said, I've learned and whatsoever state, whatever condition, however I find myself, I am going to be content. Then he said in, in, in verse 12, Philippians 4, 12, I know both how to be abased. I, I know how to be so low that you got to look up to touch bottom. I know how to abound. In other words, I've been exalted. I've been made to sit in heavenly places. I've seen it when every day was sunshiny and the cool breeze was Blowing across my face, but he said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. So no matter where he found himself, when he said everywhere and in all things, wherever he found himself and whatever the condition was that he found himself in that particular place, he said, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now how in the world can a man when he's full feel like he's hungry and when he's abounding to feel like he suffers need? The only time you could could be in that state, which is a state of neutrality, it's a state of contentment. I'm instructed both to be full to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need when when you are thankful that neutrality uh, being able to be in both states at the same time where the, the state is actually in all reality it's down not up but but Paul said I've been commanded I, I, I he's, I've been instructed that when I'm being on the very bottom I gotta believe in a sense spiritually I'm I'm, I'm still on the top when I'm when I'm full not not hungry I'm 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 I'm, I'm uh, empty. I mean, he he's just trying to show us, and then he, and then he concludes by saying, "I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me." Why Why was he able to do that? He said because Christ, he is strengthening me in these places and and the condition and the state that I may find myself. And um, I know I talked about last week. I, I, I talked about murmuring the week before that about. Uh, the number 45, because all of us, and as I said last week, we're all guilty of murmuring, complaining. We, we just don't like where we are. You know, God, if you'll just get me out of here to this other place, I'll praise you, I'll magnify you, I'll thank you, I'll bless you, but I can't do it while I'm here. And then Paul is saying, no, wherever you find yourself, you can still bless the Lord. I lo- love Psalms 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. How do we enter in? We enter in with thanksgiving. And into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. That speaks volumes. In other words, there will never come a generation that will not have the opportunity to experience the truth. His truth endureth to all generations. In other words, generation to generation to generation, to Generation Now, more and more people are spurning and rejecting the truth, but the truth is still there if you want to know it. Just like we we still have our Bibles, we can know the truth if we if we want to. Again, it is a choice. I I uh, people oftentimes you know ask me to pray for them, which we do. My wife and I we prayed for for everyone this morning, and prayed for you, Doug and Joe and your wives, your spouses. We, we 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 pray because we, that's important to pray one for another, and but I read something years ago. I don't know where I read it, but it was an acronym for the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts in, in the New Testament, ACTS, ACTS, and, and, and this acronym. I don't know where I read it, but here's what it talked about: how to spend twenty minutes in prayer. People say. I I can't pray more than five minutes and I'm done and the the person who was writing this was trying to encourage people to spend more time in prayer so he took the word acts and he turned it into an acronym and A was for adoration to to come before God and adore him and, and, and adoration and the other one was C what is C C is for confession uh, whether we have to confess sin, you say, "Well, I I, I, I didn't have any sin that day to confess." Okay, uh, confess that you just need His help, that you need His aid, you need His assistance, uh, you need His presence, uh, you need Him because you're going into a a a a, a, a business deal or contract today, and, and you want the mind, the wisdom of God to know how to enter in that. Confess, God, I need you. You know, because we can't do this by ourselves. John 15, verse 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You know, we all have that tendency to say, I- I'm going to go do this. And Jesus said, you can do nothing without me, because our next breath will literally come from the Lord. He confers life. And then T is Thanksgiving. Uh, All of us are way, way behind and giving thanks to the Lord for all that he's done for us. All of us, some of us sidewinders. We used to be some sidewinders. Uh, God spared our lives so many times. And it's just the mercy of God. It's just the mercy of God that some of us tonight are alive. Because if it hadn't been for the mercy of God, the devil would have killed some of us and took us out. And we'd be in a place of torment right now, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But see, God was merciful, and so many times we failed to thank God. And then, of course, the last letter there, S, is for supplication. Now, now what is supplication? To supplicate. Supplication to supplicate means you're praying for somebody else. You're calling somebody else's name in prayer. Uh, Ephesians 6 and 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Paul talked about praying for other people. You know, so many times we get down to pray, and and, and all we pray about is ourselves and what we need God to do. God, you need to do this. God, you need to do that. God, you need to move this. God, you need to move that. We're just always hammering God what he, He needs to do. But what we fail to do is pray one for another. And uh, James 5 and 16 said, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So that's supplicating. It's praying one for another. Uh, Throughout the Scriptures, Paul admonished different churches under different circumstances to pray for him and, and to pray for his fellow laborer that may be laboring with him uh, wherever they were on a mission trip. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we have the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, and whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. Now watch this, verse 11. Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf Paul was letting the church at Corinth know your prayers are helping us to get the gospel to the next city to the next country, to the next nation, wherever uh, God would have them to go he said your prayers are getting us there and there there will be thanks giving by many on, because of what we have done but you have been the impetus, the power behind it for God to get us through the perils, the dangers the tolls and the snares that we might go preach Jesus Christ to him crucified and you know I, I hate to be critical tonight because it's a, it's, a, it's a time of thanksgiving but so many ministries are only preaching to the people on the pew and the sermon is not about Jesus the sermon is about the person on the pew you know the power of I am you know get the focus off yourself and either give it on somebody else or get it on Jesus Christ but get the light off of me get the light off of you get it on someone else because you don't have to look far folks for someone that's always in a far worse condition than yourself as I said tonight that that man oh that North Korean who who risk his life uh, to get to South Korea kind of reminded me of the uh, Israel and, and, and the Exodus the promised land that was the type of promised land for that man and I'm telling you I just in my heart I just know there was something deep inside of him that was abiding in him telling him if you can just get there and now having gotten there he's gonna have the freedom to, to worship if he so chooses to, to, to be a Christian whatever the whatever the case might be and our lives are uh, under many dangers, toils, and perils, and snares, and all sorts of troubles. But we, we endure, we hold on. And in the midst of it all, we, we thank God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus concerning you. Now I know it's hard to thank God when every measure of opposition is trying to beat us down. But see, that, that, that will confuse the devil when he's beating you up and you're still saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm giving you thanks for I know right now this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for my life. And many times, it, it, it's a life of suffering. It's a life of toil. It's a life of adversity. It's a life of pain. But as I get older, you know it, that too is innate within human beings especially Christians it, as they get older and they near the end of the pilgrimage they don't look at death like they did when they were 20 years old because there was too much life too much life, physical life in the body to think about death because you're too young you, you're, there's just too much in you there's too much effervescence but as you get older and Things begin to slow down, and you, you lose a step, and you can't walk as fast as you used to. There's something in eight that, that begins to mentally, emotionally prepare. And you see it is, you know, one day I'm going to find that eternal rest, that eternal peace, my, my place of abode. And there'll never be any more storms. There'll never be any more tempest and darkness, and lightning and thundering, and billowing clouds, and tempestuous Ways in my life, it'll all be gone, and 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 that's that's the hope, that that's the hope that this man had, and and, and his body was diseased with 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 parasites and hepatitis, and I think he was shot five times, but he had something in him said you just got to get over there, you got to make it, and that's the disposition uh, that we should take as Christians and say I I'm determined, I I'm going to make it. I'm going to endure whatever comes. Uh, no, no one in the Gospels, no one in the Testaments, either old or new, never said this was easy. They, they never told us this was a, you know, uh, 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 like riding a, a merry-go-round. Life is real. There is adversity. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. He's always on the prowl saying, are you vulnerable today? Are you vulnerable tomorrow? Are you vulnerable next week? He's seeking whom he may devour. and That's why he's described, Peter said, as a lion. He's seeking to devour those who he can't. But when you walk with God, and you allow the Word of God to have residence in your heart, or you just you know, I I spend a lot of time in my Bible. I I read a, 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 a modest amount, I would say, of books and other things, but, but 90% of my time is spent in the scriptures, because there's something powerful about the Word of God. It's, it's a living book. It's a live book. It's not dead. It's living, and it's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, John chapter 1, verse 1. It's Jesus Christ. And David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. There's just power in the Word of God. Ephesians 4.12, or excuse me, Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even, the dividing sunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Spirit of God will bring to your remembrance the Word of God that you've hid in your heart. You may have forgotten that Word, but in a time of distress, a time of turmoil, the Spirit of God can quicken that verse. You may not know the chapter, you may not know the book. That's irrelevant. You just know the Word. And that Word will rise up in your heart. And that Word is a type of Christ. And uh, Psalm 68, verse 1, David said, "'Let God arise, and His enemies be scattered.'" If it's God's enemy, it's your enemy. If it's your enemy, it's God's enemy. And so when David said, let God arise and the enemies be scattered, let that word arise in you because that word is God. And then that word can have preeminence. And that word can have uh, dominion and and, and be dominant in your life and push back the oppression, push back the fear, uh, push back the anxiety, push, push all of these things back. See, darkness, it can you know, when the sun starts setting, everything just starts getting darker and darker. Once the sun goes down, it's dark. It's just dark. And, and that's how Satan wants us to be. But the Son of God, the light of his word, uh, David said in Psalms 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You'll never walk in darkness if you, if you walk with Christ. You know, John eight twelve. he said, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. I want to say that again. The light of life. This light gives life. We talk about photosynthesis, algae, and the sunshine, and the water, and how all this works. The light of Jesus Christ gives us life. And that's why we need it so much. Um uh, John 1, 5, The light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. When that radiant light begins to shine in your heart, in your life, it, it, it's like an effervescence, as I said. You'll begin to grow, and, and the darkness, of course, is dispelled and driven back. And you can say, hey, I see now, I, I see it clear as day. You know this, this is the enemy I, uh, this is the trap or whatever he's trying to to use against you and then because you can see that gives you even more reason to be thankful and and give thanksgiving unto the Lord. And, you know that's what tomorrow is about and and, and and I pray tomorrow that your your time with your family uh, don't forget to pray. And you've heard me say this, I don't put a peanut butter cracker in my mouth without thanking God for it now some people think that's crazy and that's okay you know I don't I'm not going to sit here and say you have to pray over everything but I want to be thankful for everything and even even a a, a a peanut butter cracker thank God because it's food it is sustenance and God gave me the wherewithal to to, to secure it to procure it to get it and I want to be thankful for that you know I believe that people would become more thankful, Their lives would not be in such disarray. Uh, They would not be nearly as discouraged because they wouldn't spend all this time, you know, murmuring and complaining, but they would thank the Lord. They would bless the Lord. You know, Psalms 103, David said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. That word benefits there in the Hebrew means his treatments. "...who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles." That's why that, that song that Andre Crouch, "...bless the Lord, O my soul." and all those within me, bless his holy name. He was just inspired by Psalms 103 to put the music to it and sing that psalm. He sang that psalm. The psalms are really about worship. There are 150 of them. And it's the largest book in the Bible. And and, and psalms are precious. Uh, I, I struggle going to churches, visiting churches today, and I'll tell you why. Because the music is no longer godly. Because Paul said in Ephesians 5 and 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You read Psalms 103 or you sing it. It's a type of thanksgiving saying, God, I thank you that you have blessed my soul. You've blessed all that's within me. You've blessed my going in. You've blessed my going out. You've blessed me in the city. You've blessed me in the field. You have forgiven me of all my iniquities. You, you've healed the diseases, the infirmities, the maladies in my body. And you've redeemed my life from destruction. All of us were on the road to destruction. But he redeemed us from that destruction. And he crowneth us with loving kindness and tender mercies. Uh, Psalms 147, verse 11 says, The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and in those that hope in his mercy. There's not a day that I don't thank God for his mercy, because mercy can cover anything and everything that Satan may try to bring and wield against your life. That's why we need to be thankful. I just want you to be thankful tomorrow as you bless your meal Tomorrow, Bless the Lord. Thank you. Thank you that he loved you so much to draw you out from sin and darkness. Some of you listening to me, that's that's why I know the power of God is real. You didn't know anything about Jesus. You may have been raised in Hinduism. You may have been a full, devout Catholic and believe some things that were not correct. But God in his sovereignty said, I'm going to show you the truth. I'm going to show you the way. I'm going to show you that, that 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 there's there's something here that's more than what you're being told, and only God can do that, and only God can reach out and touch someone that's in that environment. Say, hey, let me let me show you the real way. Let me show you the real truth, and that's like you know some Muslims coming to the knowledge of Christ, Christ coming to them in dreams and visions. It's the mercy of God that He just says, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to choose you, uh, and that's why we. We ought to be thankful for His mercy, Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Wow. What What an on point, powerful message for this Thanksgiving Eve, Pastor. Uh, I, your words resonate, you know, with me, and and I know with so many people. Um, yeah,
1: this is what uh, mm. you know, kind of right along the lines of what we talked about on our daily show. Yeah. There was a video by a YouTube channel, Prager University that talked about the mindset of being happy and what are some of the the traits and characteristics of people who are happy most of the time versus those that are unhappy. And one of the main ones that was showcased was gratitude. People who are grateful for what they have seem to live life in a much more happy state of mind where people who are ungrateful are always complaining
2: and never seem to be happy. But the component of that that show is, is to extract yourself from the chaos. You need you need to rid rid your life. If I'm hearing Pastor uh, Pastor Langford correctly, chaos daily chaos gets in the way of that gratitude and thankfulness, right? Is that
0: sure? It does. That's exactly what Satan is the master of chaos, and he wants right. to get you off track, but you won't be thankful for anything. Exactly. You know? I mean. Uh, I, I used to, i preached at a lot of black churches, and they will, you'll hear them say thank God for uh, waking me up this morning and getting me started on my way, <laughs> you know? B- because, hey, if we don't wake up, that means we're dead, folks, you know?
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I'd hate, like, heck to wake up dead tomorrow, okay? That's, um,
0: yeah, yeah. You know, or, or, or maybe be-
2: not, I don't know. But <laughs>
0: you'll, you'll already be going home, Doug.
2: A, 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 amen to that. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, I, I used to used to say that as a joke, but uh, uh, not so much anymore. Especially, you know, especially now. But my goodness, how how you know, Pastor? We we look how quickly we've arrived at Thanksgiving twenty seventeen. It just seems like time is really passing so quickly, and. uh uh, here we are you know another another thanksgiving it just seems like yesterday i i can almost remember having you on last t- last year around this time and it's just i don't know time is really it seems seems like it's really uh, going quickly.
1: yes it is go ahead yes.
2: you traveling anywhere tomorrow or you
1: get to stay home and, and have gonna the family I'm going to go with my
0: over. wife to her mothers. There will be about 40 or 50 people over there. she got a large family. I want to say one thing before we leave. I, I want people sure. to be very thankful, because I'm telling you, there's a lot of things getting ready to happen uh, that's not good. Uh, there's, there's too much going on, and, and God will not judge the church without first judging the world. And we're seeing the politicians, we're seeing the media, they're being exposed. But I think the next move will be God will be, begin to make exposure in the church, the body of Christ. He cannot judge the world. Uh, without I mean, He cannot judge the church first without judging the world He must judge the world first and then he'll start working on the church Because they're in darkness, we're supposed to be in light So I think people need to get ready for a very in- interesting time here in the very near future With all the things on the politicians, the media, Hollywood I think you're going to see more exposure than you've ever seen before So get ready for yeah. a very unsettling time, folks
2: it, it, and and we thought we we thought we've seen it a lot lately, but uh, more to follow, more to come is what you're saying. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. Well, well, Pastor, that brings us to the end of the program. I'm to just thank you so much for being part of our platform, part of our such an integral part of our our uh, our show and the messages that you bring. They're always well received and and certainly uh, much anticipated. And this is again. Um, tonight's broadcast is no exception. So thank you, and uh, we wish the best. Uh, a very happy and safe Thanksgiving for you and your wife and your family tomorrow. Um, you'll be in our thoughts and prayers. and Amen. Well, Thank you. All right. I
0: pray God bless every one of us. Until next time. Take Amen. care. Have a good night.
2: bye Pastor. Pastor. The Voice of Evangelism.com, folks. The Voice of Evangelism.com. That's where you can find Pastor David Langford. Uh, he's my spiritual mentor. When, I'm, when I need advice, biblical some bi- biblical advice that's who i turn to and you you have your own perhaps but but uh boy i'll tell you i find myself the older i get the, the more i need that guidance but uh again we thank you on behalf of joe on behalf of john the producer eric the tech jackie my daughter works in the office my wife and lady the studio dog He's actually looking forward to tomorrow. and She knows. She knows. Let me tell you, you have a dog or a cat, but a dog. They know. Okay, I'm telling you they know. Do, do us a favor. All that, with all that food also comes all the company. That's right. That gets them all riled up and. Yeah. But, but, but do us a favor. Take my show tomorrow, which will be live at nine. Take my show with you when you're out there cooking and Joe and John's show when you're out there cooking at two from two to three global store radio network, blog talk radio. Follow on blog talk on BTR. Click the follow button for our various shows. The flagship show Hagman report will be dark tomorrow night back on Friday. Dr. Ted Brewer, we're going to be uh, talking about a lot of news items uh, as well as he's got some pretty interesting things on nutrition that uh, I know ahead of time. Uh, you're not going to want to miss Friday's show. The heck with uh, Walmarts or whatever. you. What do people do? You know, the They're already lined up stuff, outside but, of Best Buy. Oh, come on. Really? Yep. It's on Dredge. I, I remember the Furbies. Yeah. Uh, didn't people laugh or? or, or uh, they, was, they
1: lined up for the Furbies.
2: All right. Eh, whatever but uh folks until tomorrow tomorrow we're going to be back um uh, again with our with our specific shows the uh flagship show will be dark but may god bless each and every one of you and give your husband your wife hey your dog your cat your bird give them a hug whatever all right